Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob, Ben, and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times they crash, hard, into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Ben. And baby, I'm gonna sign your pity on the runny kind. Sadate! See, my dammies, we baddie daddies calling down on the panty sty. Cindy Marty don't bane the dillies, cause tata kama kama leapachai, dig? We don't gots to say naneno to these many time tannies. Sepa town, kappa chow. We pwn tonies, wadata. Naneno fo tippy ties, leapatine on my clemendies, penatine on my dammy kays, I'm a craddy pooster. Ben, what's the dabble D? May we dane on the cherries? <laughs> that was good. Did you, um, is, was some of that written about cinemodities? Uh, I put in cinemodity. That was how I yeah. figured Pootie Tang would say cinemodity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought that. And then something about, can you get into the peas or something? Can we dane on the Grammys? <laughs> May we dane on the cherries? So, uh, I went in, I went like down the rabbit hole of, of, of trying to find people online who think they know what Pootie Tang is saying or how Pootie Tang's language translates. And yeah. it's pretty great that like everything you read about Pootie Tang and his language online, like translations of it, I guess would be the right word. It'll, it'll list like what he says in the movie. And then the translations will be like, it could mean this or this. And they are almost completely contradictory, the translations. <laughs> like, there is so much confusion around this movie, and I think that's, that's what the, the gist of the character is going for. But, of course, we are talking today about Pootie Tang. What I think, we both agreed, Ben, was probably the worst two words to ever be put together in the English language. Which has started to grow on me after I had to uh, write that paragraph that I said at the start and practice it to be able to say it all. Um, this is growing on me. This is growing on me. What do you think? Is Pootie Tang, are you getting more used to it, I guess? That might be the best way to say it, is that we're just becoming accustomed to how weird these things sound. The the thing that, that really sold me is in the movie, they explain it by saying he he was, he is, and always will be too cool for words. Yes. <laughs> and uh, from that point forward, I didn't give a shit anymore. I was like, I get it. He just, he, his brain's fucked and he doesn't speak words. And like that's, <laughs> and the people around him, for some reason, understand him. Kind of like Boomhauer from King of the Hill. Like, yes, I, was like, All right. I totally thought of Boomhauer as well. Where even though Boomhauer has like, the joke of Boomhauer is that you can't understand everything he says until like the last word. And yeah. that's how they get jokes. Where Pootie Tang is just full on, total like almost gibberish and stuff like that and i'm actually glad you bring that up that he's too cool for words because i was talking to someone yesterday and i was like oh i have to i have to record for the podcast we're doing pootie tang i was like have you ever seen pootie tang and they were like no and they're like what is that i don't think i've even heard of it and i was like well it's this character and they're like well like a comedy like based from a chris rock show from like a sketch on the chris rock show and they're like well what's the gist of the sketch and i'm like he speaks words you can't understand but everybody else understands him. <laughs> and I'm like, that is literally the premise of Pootie Tang. It's so basic. <laughs> it's, uh, from what I gathered, it seems like satire on, <clears throat> on black exploitation films. Yes. Like, Pootie Tang is like Shaft. Except sure. Shaft is all about beating women, and Pootie Tang is all about, like, eating your fruits and vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. It's, it's a doozy. It's a doozy. So, 
So there's there's a lot that we have to get into. There's so much we have to get into with this episode, Ben. Um, of course, I guess we should start with Zach is not here. He's not just been silent this entire time. He's not here. And we have to talk about why he isn't here. Uh, while he was working at the Cinemodities restaurant, he was attacked by a gorilla. Uh, not <laughs> fatally, but he is in need of some time to mend, so he was not able to make it this recording. Uh, also, I don't want to reveal how many times someone has been mauled by a gorilla in our restaurant. I, uh, I think we'll keep that to ourselves. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because that was the funniest shit. It's it's really good. It's really good when that happens in the movie. So, so like, just for some context, we get this, like, Pootie Tang, we're seeing him as a child. He's six years old. His mom dies. I don't know that that is explained. She's just dead. And then two weeks later, his dad is fatally injured at a steel mill, and we see Chris Rock using, like, a, a dolly in a steel mill, moving something heavy, and out of nowhere, like, out from the right side of the screen a man in a gorilla costume comes out and, and fucks him up. Yes, yes. And and the gorilla, the acting of the guy in the gorilla costume is not great. Like, it's, it's, it barely even looks like it's moving like a gorilla. It looks like a gorilla. And then you get the wonderful button from the narrator that goes, it was incredible. Only the third time a man had been mauled by a gorilla at that steel mill. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, like, the whole time Chris Rock is just, like, yelling gorilla. He's like, it's a gorilla, a gorilla. <laughs> And there's that dude in the background who's just not paying attention to him yes, at all. Yes, yes, yes. Two weeks later, another terrible tragedy. His father was fatally injured at the steel mill. It was incredible. Only the third time a man had been mauled by a gorilla at that steel mill. So Zach is on the men from a gorilla attack. I will go visit him, though, while he's recuperating. Of course, anytime he's bedridden, uh, for whatever reason, uh, we inject him with cooties, and I make him eat his ranch medicine so we can harvest his ranch chooties. But I will go talk to Zach, and uh, if he has any thoughts on Pootie Tang uh, f- to say, I will place them in here. Oh, Bob, I dare Basami, my brother. I dare Basami. Call me on the panty sty. We'll see if that if that comes through. <laughs> so, Ben, I think the best So I think the best place to start is that I had never seen this movie before. I I barely even knew I knew nothing about it even. And I want to get into that a little bit. And I, I think even you, Ben, you said I've never seen this movie. And it turns out from when I talked to Zach a few days ago before we, we found out he wasn't going to be here, it turns out that he had never seen this movie either. <laughs> so so this movie ended up on the Fort Year more because Zach explained to me that the trailer was, like, seared into his brain, and the trailer was apparently crazy. I never even saw the trailer. So so we are really coming from this Pootie Tang perspective, both of us, Ben, that we had never seen this movie. We have, Maybe it might have different levels of, like, understanding of what it was before we saw it. But I finished watching this movie on a Thursday night. It ended around 9 p.m., like when I finished watching the movie. And this was about 41 hours prior to the time we had set to record. And the moment I finished this 80-minute movie, I legitimately had the thought, 41 hours might not be enough time to prepare for this. <laughs> I have... So many thoughts on this movie. (laughs) It turns out that I absolutely love this movie. It's not a good movie. It might be one of the worst pieces of filmmaking in history, and I have a lot to say about that. But, oh, my God, it is fascinating. (laughs) So did you—I guess my question for you, Ben, is did you even know 
what this movie was before we decided to watch it. I'm going to have to say nay-no to the fam fam of, of, <laughs> of the movie. No, I, I did not know what, what we were getting into at all. Uh, and I have to say, my expectations, um, they were book-by-cover expectations. The name of this movie sucks so bad <laughs> that I, I went into this movie expecting to hate every second of it. Yes. And... I knew nothing about it. I didn't realize we were getting like a shaft type character. I just thought like I thought we were gonna get like just a really stupid character named Pootie Tang. Like I didn't think it was gonna be like a superhero named Pootie. So <laughs> um I can honestly say that not only did I like this movie more than I expected to, I actually liked this movie. It is so kinda wild. Like as soon as I started watching it, like before it really had all sunken into me, which I think at this point, even still, you know, under two days since seeing it it might not have completely sunk into me. But just from the opening of this movie, when Dirty D rolls up, and the, the design on the cars and the people, it's like, it's not just dirty. Like, people, I don't think our words could ever do justice the set design of how dirty these characters are. I'm just like, oh my god, I think I'm gonna love this movie. <laughs> yeah, and they're dirty too. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was wondering when... We were we were gonna break the cherry on that joke. Now we are gonna, I feel, make that joke for the rest of time. <laughs> like if there's any moment that one of us goes on like a huge like tirade about something, someone else has to chime in and just be like, repeat the point very tersely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I actually like that dude gets out of the car and like his his uh, he looks all ashy, like covered in dirt. Yes. And and then his coat like flips around and like dirt flies out and like. The people that are with him, like, cover their faces because yes. there's so much dirt flying at them. insane. It is, it is one of those things that you see in a movie, and it's, it's like you, you see it and you almost can't believe it. Like, and then, like I said, our words won't do it justice. Like, you have to see for yourself how fucking dirty these characters are. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and their cars as well. Like, their cars – like, if you've ever seen one of those, like, grease dumpsters at the, in the back of a restaurant? Yes. That's a good one. Like they, they, that looks like somebody poured one of these grease dumpsters onto one of these cars, and then poured a regular dumpster on it. <laughs> like they're yes. so disgustingly dirty. It is. It is. It is a sight to behold. It is. It is wonderful. But that that was kind of the thing is when I when I started watching it, I was like, oh my god, like I might be all about this because I didn't really know anything. Like I knew I had known about the name of this movie, and I think that's because I have a very Maybe not vivid, but I remember for some reason there was this kid in my middle school who I, like, heard say Pootie Tang, which I would imagine had to be in reference to the movie um, because my middle school had to be, you know, probably uh, maybe this was, like, 2004, 2005. But I don't think he, like, talked, like, the gibberish that the character did. Like, I don't know if he was had seen the movie or something, but I remember this kid saying Pootie Tang for some reason. And I also remember that Pootie Tang is a plot point at the end of Scary Movie 3. So Scary Movie 3 is the one with uh, that parodies Signs and the Ring. And at the end, when Anna Faris, like, ends up at the... George Carlin is, is uh, making fun of the architect from the Matrix movies. And she's like, well, what's the connection between the aliens and the, and the videotape? And George Carlin says that, like, his wife killed their adopted daughter and imprinted her evil on a videotape. And he accidentally gave that videotape back to Blockbuster, thinking he was returning Pootie Tang. 
And then the joke is that he, and then Anna, Anna Ferris hears this, and Anna Ferris says, so the videotape has just been out there circulating and killing ever since that event. And George Carlin goes, just like Pootie Tang. <laughs> and I, I knew that. I saw a scary movie in theaters back in the day, but I had no reference to what Pootie Tang was. But So I feel like if anybody knows Pootie Tang, they might know it better because of Scary Movie 3 and not because of the actual movie because this seems almost like entirely forgotten. But that was it. That is literally all of the knowledge I had about this prior to going into this movie. <laughs> I had uh, a friend back in undergrad, or not undergrad, grad school, after you moved away. Uh, his name was Esteban, and he would say, yeah, it's hot out here, too. Uh, and I didn't, and he was like, it's, he told me it was a reference to Pootie Tang, and I didn't know Pootie Tang well enough, and I had forgotten about it. Okay. And, until I saw it in the movie, and I was like, oh, that's what he was doing the whole, the whole time. He was just doing this bit. Um <laughs> But yeah, that's like the extent of my familiarity with it. It, it really is kind of crazy how, how little I knew about it. It's always wild, I feel like, when I find movies that I don't know like anything about. You know, indie movies are different. But this like this was a big studio movie that had like power behind it. Like Chris Rock. Like Chris Rock is a big, like popular major figure in like American comedy and culture. And this I, I learned even that this character came from the Chris Rock show, which is one of my not blind spots because I've seen some of it, but one of my lesser known spots in sketch comedy. But I'm just I was just kind of baffled that I knew so little about it. And I'm with you, Ben. You mentioned it earlier. I was also expecting to really dislike this movie. Like, I thought this was going to be something that was going to be bland, cookie-cutter, like a, a bad, raunchy comedy, maybe like a Saving Silverman, like in that vein of just groaning at the screen type of thing. And it turns out they could not have been farther from Saving Silverman. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot to say in this episode, which we have, I have so much to get to. I have read so much about Pootie Tang in the last, like, 40 hours that it's insane. But, Ben, there's something we have to get to. Because we're going to take a little, a little aside right here. Maybe not a little. It might be a big aside. Because this movie is written and directed by Louis C.K. And as I found in my research, not only is that the case, Louis C.K. is the actual creator of the character for The Chris Rock Show. So I thought originally when I read that Louis C.K. wrote and directed this movie, I was thinking, oh, I know Louis C.K. was a writer on The Chris Rock Show. Maybe they had that sketch. I didn't know if he had any involvement with it. But it was a sketch comedy movie, like based on sketch comedy. Maybe they just picked one of the writers from the show to to spearhead this movie because that happens a lot with like SNL movies and and movies based off sketches. But it really turns out that like Louis C.K. is the creator of Pootie Tang in every sense of the word. Like the guy who plays Pootie Tang, Lance Crother, was another writer on the Chris Rock Show that after Louis C.K. wrote the sketch, just went to and was like, "Hey, can you read this back to me? I think this might be funny." And it just kind of by happenstance. He became, Lance Crother became the person to play Pootie Tang. It, I, so that was baffling that Louis C.K. Is, is truly, like, the person behind Pootie Tang, which is very weird to think of, I think, in just a, a vacuum. But, Ben, we have to talk about it. You've said it before. We've talked about it before. I think on every form of, of cinemodities, whether it be main feed, Monday episodes, whether it be bonus episodes and Patreon, we have said before, Louis C.K. did nothing wrong. And I knew that going into this episode, I finally wanted to sit down and actually learn more about this and, and say and ask myself, did he do anything wrong? Because the thing is, Ben, I don't know how much you actually know about it. You're the one who's always like, Louis C.K. never did anything wrong. And I agree. And I'm not, I'm not like hedging my bets now and saying I never agreed with you. I totally did. I totally do agree. And I still think in some sense he didn't do a lot of things wrong. 
But here's the thing, Ben. I did some deep, deep looking into Louis C.K. and the sex scandal. And I actually, like, went way too far. Sex scandals are not fun topic, but we have to talk about this. We have to talk about this because this is one of the things where, in the back of my head, and I think Ben knows this about me, you hear these things, you read these headlines. I think the big headline was Louis C.K., you know, sex scandal. He asked women if he could masturbate in front of them. He gets canceled for this to some extent. And we'll talk about how he got canceled, which might not be the right word because he has his comeback already. But it's so easy to hear that and go, well, what, what's the problem? You know, he, he asked permission. Like, isn't that what people want these days? And, and it's so easy to think like, oh, he didn't do anything wrong. But that's in the back of my head why I was like, I want to look into this. I want to know more about this. So I think, I think just the setting, which everybody's aware of, November 2017, uh, New York Times and other, and other journals, uh, they're not journals, newspapers, publish an article that basically says like five women have come forward and acclu- accused Louis C.K. of sexual misconduct for many incidents going back to like the 1990s while he was on the Chris Rock show even. And they all revolve around him masturbating. Uh, so there's like an instance of when two women went to a hotel room with him, he asked to masturbate in front of them. Uh, one woman heard him masturbating on the phone, which I could not find any corroboration that he asked to masturbate on the phone call. That's the one instance where the asking was never explicit. But then two, the other two women said that, like, while they were in work environments, he just, like, casually asked them if he could masturbate in front of them later. And that's part of the story I didn't know, that he was doing it, like, while they were filming things and stuff like that. So here's the thing. You should ask permission. I think that's where I want to start. If you want to have a sexual intercourse or any sexual encounter with anybody, you should ask permission. I think we can both agree on that, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> We're on the same page. I think the issue comes more down to, and this was the thing that really interested me as I started reading, I don't think anybody's saying that what he did was wrong in the sense of asking women to masturbate in front of them nobody's really saying that. And I think that's what we were getting at when we, when you and I, Ben, just say, Louis C.K. did nothing wrong. He asked permission. Nobody seems to really think that's the bad part. The bad part gets it more of the idea is that he was asking these women that he had some sense of authority over. And this is something we're familiar with. The, the putting your people below you or people that admire you or have feeling towards you in, in whatever way, professional or otherwise, in somewhat of a predicament when you ask them questions. And that seems to be the thing people have an an issue with. And this is exactly what Louis C.K.'s release, his, like, statement after the um, the events were revealed in the New York Times, when he came out and he wrote his little, you know, his essay, his response to everything, this is what he gets at. And so I want to read this directly from his response. Um, Everybody should go out. I'm not going to read the whole response. It's fairly long, and it loses the thread at a certain point which is terrible, and it's very Hollywood, very cynical about these things. But there's a very important part right at the beginning where he says, and this is the quote, these stories are true. At the time, I said to myself that what I did was okay because I never showed a woman my dick without asking first, which is also true. But what I learned later in life, too late, is that when you have power over another person, asking them to look at your dick isn't a question. It's a predicament for them. The power I had over these women is that they admired me, and I wielded that power irresponsibly. End quote. So, this is what, I've heard this before. I think we're both in this, this vein. We've heard this before. Like, um, you know, boss shouldn't date their employee. That's a power dynamic that could lead to bad things. Any power dynamic has come up in this age of the Me Too movement of sexual misconduct coming into light, all that stuff. So this is nothing new. 
But this was the thing that I feel like I never heard about with the Louis C.K. story. I remember, and this is where I want to know if this is what you remember, but from like the four years ago this happened, a little less than four, I remember it being, oh, Louis C.K. was masturbating in front of women and people didn't like that, so he got canceled. I don't remember hearing anything about the Louis C.K. being this sense of authority that he was misusing. Did, did you know about any of that? No, and the, the only incident, incident that I really knew about was the one that I think I talked about the most was the incident with the two women in the hotel room, and they were not employees or underlings of him if from the story that i heard they were fans they so what they were they were two comedians um that were at a like comedy festival that louis ck was also at where he was like the big draw and they were just lesser known comedians and they went back to louis ck's hotel room i don't want to say under the guise because i don't think louis ck was luring them there for bad things but they went there under the pretenses of celebrating their performances like louis ck was like oh you did a great job like let's celebrate type of thing so they were other comedians and i think he's getting at that with um when he said uh the power i had over these women is that they admired me like they were up and coming comedians and and you know of course louis ck has been an established comedian for a very long time you know since like the early 90s so so you're right they weren't employees they weren't co-workers on like you know chris rock show or anything like that they were the least related to him in that way but they were comedians that looked up to him. Sure. I don't know that I knew that aspect of it. Okay. Uh, I'm not uh, yeah. sure how much it changes my opinion. And and the the reason that I say that is when are you allowed to hit on people? Okay. Okay. As as somebody who has star power, let's say. Let's say you're Tom Cruise. When is Tom sure. Cruise allowed to hit on women? Fair. Fair point. No, you're you're not wrong in that, you know, when is when is this kind of stuff in the, when you say hit on, of course, you know, it's, it's, it's more like, you know, in, to initiate some type of, you know, knowledge in another person that you're interested in them physically in some way. Right. Or that you want to do something sexual. Exactly. Them. Louis C.K. might have taken the extreme of that by saying, hey, can I masturbate in front of you? That, that, that's a certain yes. thing, which is a form of hitting on, I guess. One I would use, no, but I know, I think everybody knows what you're saying, that you're not saying that specifically. Because that's a different conversation. If you want to say, when is it okay to ask somebody to masturbate in front of them? I don't know, probably when you've been dating for a while and they just got out of the shower or something. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. like, not right. early. But, but you're right. And this, this is the thing that I really wanted to, to talk about, because every time we've talked about Louis C.K., it's just like, oh, he did nothing wrong. He asked permission. Isn't that the end of the story? But I'm, I'm with you that I'm still kind of torn on the sense of, well, when, when is it okay to do these things? You know, when is it okay to, to try and, you know, initiate or instigate the idea that of, of romantic attraction? Of course, there's times and places for it, but is the time always, you know, bars or something like that? Because people work together, they fall in love and stuff like that. People meet in, in working environments. That's happened throughout time and stuff like that. But the other thing that I think of, which I think adds on to what you just asked, is it's so easy to say, I guess. It's so easy as like a, a third party or just some – like people like us just reading about this years after the fact. I feel like it's so easy to say, oh, if Louis C.K. goes to you and asks, can I masturbate in front of you, just say no. I feel like it's so easy to say, like, don't feel pressure, just say no. But that's the thing I'm torn about because I feel like we've all had those instances where someone who is higher up from us, like, a, like an advisor, like a boss, like a, a significant other, they've asked you to do things and you kind of have a feeling of obligation to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think this is kind of like the two sides of, of what's really going on here. When is it okay for people to initiate these things? And, and how much, maybe for lack of a better term, blame can we put on the people for feeling bad or feeling pressured into doing this? Well, and I think there's another aspect, which is, 
again, you know, like you said, as a third party, it's easy, it's easy to say, just say no, don't feel pressure. But as a third party, it's also easy to say, oh, those people clearly would have felt pressure. Sure, sure. Like, if you're Louis C.K., when do you learn that people feel pr- that kind of pressure around you? Yes, that's a that's a good point. It doesn't, it obviously, it's not always the case. It starts happening at some point, mm-hmm. and you're probably aware of it later than it starts. Yes, and that, I'm actually glad you bring that up because um, something else I wanted to to re- re- uh, read from his his, um, his response to this. Um, also, I guess I should say I did copy the whole response into my notes for this, and I highlighted the parts I want to read. Pootie Tang, after three years of cinematics, is the first set of notes I have where I highlighted things. <laughs> but so, so he also goes on to say, um, and this is the start of the quote: "I learned yesterday." Yesterday being when the New York Times article was published. I learned yesterday the extent to which I left these women who admired me feeling badly about themselves and cautious around other men who would have never put them in that position. I also took advantage of the fact that I was widely admired in my and their community, which disabled them from sharing their story and brought hardship to them when they tried because people who look up to me didn't want to hear it. I didn't think I was doing any of that, because my position allowed me not to think about it. And so I think that's, what, that's exactly what we're saying is like, when will Louis C.K. or anybody, when would they know they wield that power over somebody else? When would they know that they have that, that they're putting on this sense of obligation or pressure um, when they're doing from their perspective, if we you know, want to take what he says at face value, of just trying to be you know, the human condition, of just saying, hey, I think you're hot, maybe we should do something about that. Or what do you think, you know? Because it, it, it's so natural, and it's, it's so, like, everybody has those feelings. But, you know, when do we learn, when I say we, I mean, like, the royal we of people, that we might have that effect on others? And I feel like the Louis C.K. scandal, in that sense, is what I actually want to hear more of from the Hollywood sex scandals we keep hearing about. Because, yes, you have your, your terrible people like Harvey Weinstein that are like, you know, hey, you should suck my dick to get this part. And they say, well, no, I, I, like, I'm a great actress. I've, I've been in all these movies. I've done great work. And Harvey Weinstein's response is, yes, so I expect it to be a very good blowjob. Like, you have evil people like that, you know? I think the Louis C.K. scenario is different in the sense that he's famous. He's basically living his life as a stand-up comedian just relating how he sees the world. And he still thinks of himself in some way as a normal person. And of I think course. there's a, a lot of famous people that fall into that boat that maybe should start to realize that you might have some power over these people and stuff like that, or you might be pressuring them to certain ways. I think that's something that we've had to learn as teachers, that, you know, when you're, there's, a spe- there's a certain way you have to deal with your students because you hold that authority over them, because they know you're giving them a grade. That immediately creates this dynamic that you might not think about constantly or to the extent that you should be thinking about it when you're interacting with these other people. And I wish we heard. I wish we were able to hear more about that from the Louis C.K. story. I wish it wasn't. Oh, Louis C.K. asked people if he can masturbate in front of them. Isn't that weird? I wish it was like Louis C.K. learned a lesson. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's unfortunate that that it happened, and it's unfortunate that that these people felt bad about it. But I guess when it, where as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to the cancellation and the loss of gigs and, and all of that thing, all all of that, like. When does culpability come into play? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And, and to what degree can we say that he's culpable for the events that happened and for the harm that was done? Sure. Like, obviously, his actions were involved, but, like, you're not always culpable for, for things that you do under certain situations. And, and if he did these without any knowledge or without any conscious awareness, 
to what degree do we slap him on the wrist, say, don't do it again, and if you do it again, you're fucked? Mm-hmm. Or do we say, ah, too late, you're fucked? Exactly, exactly. And that that's that's exactly what I want to talk about with Louis C.K. as well, is the, the backlash that he received because of this sex scandal. Um, but before we get to that, I do just want to say I think that there's actually some— so just to kind of to put a little kind of maybe somewhat of a bow, not, maybe not tie it completely because this is never going to be stopped talking about, I think that when I have agreed with you in the past, Louis C.K. did nothing wrong— I don't fully agree with that anymore. I think he might have done something wrong. I don't think he was, like you said, maybe culpable completely for it. He might not have had the knowledge for it. But but I think this is something to bring to light. I'm sure I was being flippant at times. Oh, oh sure. We've we've, yeah. we've talked about it so briefly and stuff. It's just yeah. stuck with me because there there's like two times you've brought it up, and the third time you bring it up, you say something like, I don't know if I've talked about this yet, but Louis C.K. did nothing wrong. And I'm sitting here like, Ben, I've heard you say this many times. <laughs> but yes, sure. of course. But I, this is exactly why I want to talk about it as well because we have been very flippant about it when it is a real thing that happened that we can learn more about. And I want to – the other thing of this is make a good example for our audience – you know, don't just listen to us and have opinions. Do this research. Like, I hope somebody, before we did this episode, heard us say Louis C.K. did nothing wrong and didn't just believe that. I hope they actually read about it. And so that's what I wanted to do. So we're trying to be good role models as well. Because I went into this with, I have to read these articles, you know? I can't just read the summary on Wikipedia. I can't just remember what, like, the internet said. Like, there's, there's a lot to this story. And, and I think also, you know, the other thing to say is that maybe people should remember... I know we've dealt with it through teaching, at least I have in all my years of teaching, that there are very specific ways you should deal with people you have power over. And maybe sometimes it's harder to realize you have power over them. In the teaching thing, of course, you know, you're giving them a grade. They're, they're paying you into some, you know, you know what I mean when I say that. But it, it's just kind of like this thing that you should be aware of this, where what you think might be common and human, uh, this might be the, the most woke thing I've ever said on this podcast, Ben. You have to think about how it's going to make other people feel. <laughs> and that's important. <laughs> uh, well, it, certainly. And when it comes to teaching, I mean, we, we taught, at least we began our teaching careers kind of at the same time. Yes. I think that during our initiations, like this was mentioned. Absolutely. That, Absolutely. And like that's, that's one of the things is like those scandals had already happened. Mm-hmm. And so we had the benefit of learning from those scandals. Louis C.K. was one of the first yep. to get canceled in, in this, like, for this particular type of thing. He was definitely not the first person to do it and not, not the first person. And, and, and there are certainly other people that I am more certain were aware of what they were doing mm-hmm. than, than with Louis C.K. Like, to the, I, I don't know and I don't think we can know the degree to which he was aware that he was putting these people in, in like awkward circumstances where they felt obligated. Sure. Whereas with teaching, you know, the, the blowjob for an A or with wine scene, the blowjob for a movie part, mm-hmm. it's like, obviously that's like a, a kind of a quid pro quo, which is bad. Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. Like that's sexist currency, which is uh, illegal. A- absolutely. Yeah. And, and definitely there's a, there's a difference in scenarios, um, which is important to realize, of course, and important to discuss and important to read the whole thing rather than just the headline because it really makes them seem like they're all in the same category, which I think we, you just said they aren't. Um, but it's important. And I, I still, even if we talked about it, there's a lot from Louis C.K.'s uh, response that everybody should go out and read. It's very readily available. Um, it, there's more about the story that I think is irrelevant to what we're talking about, how his manager and his the, the, the perceived cover-up of these events by his manager – 
led a lot to this being more problematic than it actually was and things like that. But there's a lot to this story. I think that's all I'm saying is that there's a lot to this story that we're not doing entirely on this episode. So go read it for yourself, though. But the thing is, which is wildly interesting to me, the backlash that people get from these things. And this is the thing that I think has become the hottest topic in a lot of this cancel culture thing is that, you know, if someone makes allegations against you, you are immediately guilty in the court of public opinion and career moves are taken against that person. So this was another thing that you heard about very famously that as a result of the allegations, Louis C.K.'s movie called I Love You, Daddy was not released. That was like the big thing I remember hearing about, that he had a movie like almost ready to go, and because of the scandals, they they just chose not to release it. And it seems like it's almost never going to get released. If you know anything about that movie, it's problematic in other ways as well, which I think confounded or Compounded? Compounded everything, yes. Confounded was not the right word. But it turns out something I didn't know that I looked into this. Not only after these allegations did his movie I Love You, Daddy not get released— FX ended their relationship with him, which meant canceling their production deal and removing his name and compensation from current FX shows that he was producing. So there's a point. He produced the show Baskets with Zach Galifianakis, which I've never seen, but I've heard funny things about. He's a producer on that show. And there's a point after 2017 that if you go and watch those episodes, his name is no longer listed on those episodes, which is very strange. But HBO also cancels an upcoming appearance of his on America Unites for Autism, a charity event, and Netflix rescinds on the second half of their two special deal with him. And so literally, from what I could find, from all my research, everything he had ready to go in his career was stopped after these allegations. Allegations came out. This happened before his response of these stories are true. And remember, the allegations and his response were about a day apart, maybe like 30 hours, not exactly 24. But that's how fast this happened. That's how fast his career took a huge blow. And of course, he's back in the game. He's, he's doing stand-up and stuff like that. So he's had his comeback, which I think is okay because, as we said, he, he, it seemed like he learned his lesson, depending on how cynical you are about, you know— Re- uh, responses from celebrities, um, but I don't think he should be canceled completely. But this is this is the thing that interests me, is that how can we remove or stop uh, like an artist or something because of allegations? And I know this is a very hot topic. I'm a fan of innocent until proven guilty. I don't like this court of public opinion and saying, oh, somebody said you might have done something bad, and before we know the truth of the whole story, we are, want to completely cut ties for you. And it is absolutely baffling to me that in the release from FX Networks, when they, they like said that they were cutting their ties with Louis C.K., their decision stated this, and this is an exact quote. As far as we know, his behavior over the past eight years on all five series he has produced for FX Networks and or FX Productions has been professional. However, now is not the time for him to make television shows. Now is the time for him to honestly address the women who have come forth to speak about their painful experiences, a process by which he should begin today. This is baffling to me because TV shows don't get made in any short frame of time. FX literally said he shouldn't be making TV shows. He should be thinking about what he's done. Why can't those things happen concurrently? Because, and I think a big part of this is, there is nothing in Louis C.K.'s shows for FX that is about him, like, masturbating 
or sexually assaulting women or sexually misconduct with women. It's the same thing that I've said about R. Kelly, and I'm, I'm a big stance I've said many times on this podcast. I am totally okay with separating the art from the artist. R. Kelly is a monster. He is a terrible person that has done terrible things to people, not just women. But he wrote I Believe I Can Fly, which is one of the most inspirational songs in existence. I have no problem separating the art from the artist, and I think that's where this roots down, is that we should separate the art from the artist. Even though Louis C.K. might be have sexual misconduct, there's allegations now, we want to learn more about it, we should let him continue his career because they're not tied to those things. What do you think about that, Ben? I know that's a lot, but that's really the thing that gets me with these cancel cultures of like, oh, somebody said something, you're done. We're separating you. There's a lot. Let me just put it, there's, there's a lot yes. that, that goes into this. So, first thing, if it's a crime that was committed, we have a, a criminal justice system that we either do or do not trust. Yes. If we trust the criminal justice system, then we should rely on the criminal justice system to, to, to sort out punishment. Absolutely. If we don't trust the criminal justice system, I guess that's another question, and that's where this like public punishment comes in. The public punishment has the problem that the criminal justice system doesn't. The criminal justice system should err on the side of guilty people going innocent or going free rather than innocent people getting locked up. Mm -hmm. Like that's the side it should err on. And that's kind of my personal opinion, but it is also an opinion that is backed up by a lot of different other people's uh, opinions. Um, that's just kind of, I think as, as a, as a nation, what we agreed on in the very early days uh, of, of the situation. So we should not be punishing innocent people, Sure. which, which is what you said about, about innocent until proven guilty. So when an allegation, and then we have yet another piece. When you are proven guilty in the court of law, you go to jail. What happens in jail? They fucking feed you. Mm -hmm. And they take care of you. And, and, I mean, don't get me wrong. It sucks. I reckon it's supposed to. That was a reference to Putin. I don't know if Rob got that. <laughs> um, but your ability to stay alive is not hurt at least while you're in jail. Sure. There are arguments that when you get out of jail, it is difficult to find employment. And that is totally true. There are government programs that incentivize the hiring of ex-cons uh, because they should not be removed. Their their ability to make money and provide for themselves should not be removed because they did something bad in the past. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason for that. Because if you take away somebody's ability to make money and provide for themselves, you're forcing them into one of two things. The first thing, the most likely thing, is crime. Crime to then pay for themselves in a way that they can't legally do because nobody will let them work. The second is death. So as far as I see it, Ruining somebody's career is tantamount to attempted murder. Sure. It's just a very, very slow form of it. Gotcha. And, and I, don't, I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think that you might find some people who think that that is, but I do not think so. When you remove somebody's ability to earn money, you're removing their ability to feed themselves, which eventually leads to death. Mm-hmm. We are meat robots, after all. We need yeah. that biological fuel. Yeah, I think, I think it's, al it's not almost. It is undeniable that doing something reacting like that is a a will cause a drastic change of quality of life yes so in that situation like and and with louis ck maybe it's a little less relevant than it has been with with other people like in local music scenes where they're not allowed to do gigs anymore or sure. whatever yeah. and like for for the average person who doesn't have a ton of savings 
that is almost a death sentence, if not a death sentence. Mm-hmm. And I don't approve of that. I don't approve of, of social, um, especially knee-jerk reactions, to be able to ruin somebody's life in that way for that, that amount of time. And one of the responses to that that I've heard is like, well, they ruined the lives of these women, allegedly. They allegedly did that. And again, once again, if what they did was a crime, then we should trust the criminal justice system to to handle it. If what they did was not a crime, perhaps we should consider making it a crime in the future if it's harming people to to that degree. But right now it's not a crime. So they have done nothing that is wrong in the sense that that they were not given a fair chance to know that something was wrong before doing it, mm-hmm. um, in a way that you know that would harm their lives. So uh, I guess in general, I think it's not the public's position or the public's place to do these things. That being said, I also understand that there are circumstances where the court system has has been a blatant failure, and and one of those places is with the whole she was wearing a skirt, so she was asking for it sure. thing. That, that happens, and, and that I totally agree with. That is a failure of the court system. But I don't even know where to point the finger at that failure because it is a lawyer's job to, to represent their client, and, they are, and in representing their client, what somebody is wearing does speak to what they are doing. For instance, you don't wear a little black dress whenever you're going to, the, to, to Walmart to buy groceries because you're not going to Walmart to dance or whatever. Now, does that indicate that you are out there looking for for somebody to mate with? No, maybe. Okay. But we would be we would be kidding ourselves if we, if we said that women didn't dress provocatively for the sake of getting attention from men that they might want attention from. Okay. Like that would we would be kidding ourselves. That's just absolutely true. It's the same way it's true that men dress up when they want to attract women. Yep. Like we we wear clothes that that are appropriate for what we're trying to do most of the time. So. Has a lawyer gone too far when he suggests that it wasn't rape because she wanted it because she was wearing certain clothes? Yes, probably. Mm-hmm. But has it also happened that, that the accusation of rape has been a lie and that the man was actually innocent? Yes, definitely. I That's why it's like it's so complicated there about what should and should not be allowed in terms of, of mounting a defense that I get why the court system has been unable to handle this in some way. Sure. And and it is a response to the court system not being able to handle it at all times that the public has decided to handle it in this other way. This yes. other way that requires no evidence and only like and, and that's where you get this hashtag believe all women stuff. It's like, okay, I get it. What 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 you should be saying or what I think you should be saying is that you you think we should be giving women the benefit of the doubt and not automatically assuming they're lying. I agree with that. We should not automatically assume they are lying, mm-hmm. but we should not also not automatically assume they're telling the truth. Sure. Or, and this is where it gets even more complicated, maybe they are telling the truth and the person that they were interacting with had an entirely different subjective experience than they did. Yep, yep. And that's kind of, that. this kind of relates more directly to the Louis C.K. experience. If Louis C.K. did not, was not aware of the power he held over these people, and again, I'm not asserting that he was or wasn't. I'm saying that he was early on enough in the process of this happening in society that he may not have been. Mm-hmm. If he was not aware, then to his knowledge, at the time when he was acting, his acts were not malicious. And that's that's a point where it's like, okay, if, if what he did wasn't a crime, he didn't do it with malicious intent, but it did end up with somebody getting hurt, I think that's what we call an unfortunate circumstance. 
Like that's that sucks. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm wholeheartedly sorry for the people who were hurt. But at the same time, if it if he was not responsible in the way that he did not know what he was doing, mm-hmm. or could or could not have known what he was doing, then the response should be to inform him, not to ruin him. Yeah, that that is where I completely agree with you. Um, because you know, I think when when you when you think about it to any extent, you know, him losing all of these contracts and deals that he has in place because of these allegations, uh, I'm with you. He should be informed about these things, just as you said. But losing these these or taking this career blow is, in some sense, the equivalent of if he like lost a civil suit in court and had to pay a massive fine. It's yes. it's almost and I, what you said earlier I, I, is, is the thing that really I think is the the most you know interesting part of this. Interesting in the sense of that why it's worth talking about is that if we don't trust the the justice system, whether it be you know criminal or civil. Why are we letting businesses or entities make these decisions almost immediately? That is some sense, I think, vigilantism. Like we've talked about before, I don't remember where, where I am not for vigilantism because then you have, you know, a, that I think just opens itself to a, a slew of problems. That if you, if you have vigilantism, you don't have trust in the justice system, you know, you just have basically people going around killing other people because they think it's right. Uh, we have no moral standing or a close to a, a moral, complete moral standing of, of, you know, what should be right and wrong. I kind of feel like we're going down that slope with this thing of like, oh, we can end this person's career because we choose to, because we put it in their contract that, you know, moral or morality clauses that are so loose that basically say, if you do something we don't like, you're done. And, and that almost, that, that is vigilantism to me. And why are we putting that in the power of entities, of companies, which, of FX, of, of HBO? We yeah. also shouldn't trust. Exactly. Yes, to that's a, to a much, definitely <laughs> to a much larger degree than we should not trust the court system. We should not trust corporations, whose bottom line is their main concern. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, like I, I guess part of part of the issue that I have with this it goes more into the to the area of having a problem with the with the inconsistencies of the people who hold the opinions. Most people I've heard of the opinion that that Louis C.K. should be canceled by the public in this way are also of the opinion that capitalism is, in, in general, a bad thing. Sure, sure. To me, it seems inconsistent that they would trust a company. Maybe you could argue that it's consistent that they would think removing him from, from being able to compete in capitalism isn't as bad of a thing as I think it is. So maybe there, maybe there is a level of consistency there, but I feel like trusting the corporation uh, to make that decision is worse. Definitely. Uh, is erring on the wrong side of that. Definitely. So, and again, like I said, that's that's more about the consistency of the arguments of the people who believe these things mm-hmm. than it is about whether we should do one thing or another. Yeah. And on but, those beliefs, I feel like, you know, let's say um, the, the Louis C.K. example, like basically everybody cut ties with him. I think it was right around that time this happened, you know, after the Weinstein scandal broke in, like the, the rush, the tsunami we had of sex scandals coming to light. So I think that was like almost an overreaction, but it was the reaction that everybody had. I think there's there's some in the years since 2017. The example that comes to mind is the the Johnny Depp thing with Amber Heard, um, when Johnny Depp was being you know labeled as a domestic abuser or verbal abuser and all that stuff. Um, I know Warner Brothers. I think it's Warner. Yeah, Warner Brothers and you know J.K. Rowling. They took the stance of, oh, we are going to keep him on as uh, Grindelwald or whatever in the Fantastic Beast movies, and you have these people looking down on Warner Brothers and J.K. Rowling for making that decision. And I think that's just as much of an issue if we give 
corporations this right to choose whether or not they want to, you know, blacklist or continue working with somebody that has allegations against them, that's going to hurt them in the sense of, like, you know, like maybe there, I'm sure there were people like, FX canceled Louis C.K. That's great. I want to watch more FX because they're, they're good. Whereas, like, I'm going to boycott Warner Brothers because they're bad type of thing. Like, I feel like there's too much intrinsic connection between people seeing these corporations as powerful as almost relating to them as important figures in their life almost seeing them as politicians you know like i I see it as like oh i'm not going to vote for this politician because they you know don't support gay marriage or you know they do whatever you believe in you agree with them you go for them if you disagree with them you hate them people start to see corporations in that way or companies and i think that's a problem where you're like oh i only watch hbo because they made a good decision about louis ck where i'm not going to watch a warner brothers movie because they made a bad decision about johnny depp and it becomes so, so tied to, you know, I feel like it's getting past the point of why I love media is that it's just a way to kill time until you yeah. die, where it's becoming this social issue. And it's like, no, just let them make their movies and TV shows, watch them or don't watch them, that type of thing. That's also, and you said it best, I think, as well. This is an incredibly complex issue. <laughs> it, it is. And, you know, in, in the situation with Johnny Depp, there's... Uh, the evidence has come to light that Amber Heard was also very much in the wrong. Yep. Uh, Amber Heard did not get fired from Justice League or, or Aquaman 2 or whatever, uh, but Johnny Depp did get canned from Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes. If these people were not big faces for these companies, nobody would care. Exactly. And, exactly. and that's something that I find pretty strange. Um, you know, so like let's say as as a an accountant, some, somebody does something that is socially wrong but not illegal. Is that is the company that this person is an accountant for going to get attacked mm-hmm. because he they continue to to work for this accountant? Like, what if this accountant is the best accountant in the area? Sure. What if this accountant saved that company from bankruptcy? I, what I'm getting at is is that as far as I'm concerned, capitalism dictates that that the company should hire the person who's good for the job. Yes. And that's where it comes down to is these these companies are more or less flipping a coin and deciding, is it better for us to replace Johnny Depp as Grindelwald and deal with the fact that some people are going to be pretty upset about that? Mm -hmm. Or is it better for us to keep Johnny Depp as Grindelwald and deal with the fact that some people are going to be pretty upset about that? Yeah, yeah. And it really comes down to what I think that it would make sense in a capitalistic sense to come down to is – they should do some amount of analysis of what the market thinks mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and decide, like, more people are against Johnny Depp than, than not. Let's We should can him because it's going to hurt our movie to have him. Yes, yes. Versus more people are pro Johnny Depp and it's going to help or not hurt our movie as much to keep him. Mm-hmm. And it might hurt our movie more to get rid of him. And so I guess to some degree, I don't think that those types of decisions should be contract breaking. Sure, sure. Like, I don't think that that a company should be able to just decide to stop paying him for a project because they suddenly decided that the public didn't want to see him. It's like, okay, well, you made a stupid decision, but I cut out time of my life and I missed other opportunities to take this role. Like, we had a contract. You owe me some money for this. Mm -hmm. Something of that nature. Whereas, you know, in my job, like, I'm not missing a lot of other opportunities to keep my job unless I actually am turning down job offers. Sure. But I'm not. Because I haven't actively like procured any job offers and nobody's headhunting me, mm-hmm. so it would be a little different if my company decided to let me go. I'd be like, well, this sucks, but as long as they don't try to stop me from getting hired somewhere else, I don't care that much. Sure, sure. And and that's I guess that's where it comes down to is like that whole 
the fact that they're trying to not only stop what he has in the in in process, but prevent him from doing anything in the future. Yeah. And and that's where it comes down to to something akin to attempted murder. And like I said, with somebody like Johnny Depp who has tons of money, it's way less of an issue because he could live off of his savings forever. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he owns an island. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, definitely. No, I I think yeah, and, you're, and what you said is definitely the. I think gets back to what I was saying, the, um, the separating the, the art from the artist. The R. Kelly example I always go to, but that's an extreme example because I think we know R. Kelly's a monster. But R. Kelly was actually developmentally disabled to some yes, degree. something that people don't ever want to talk about, which is my least favorite thing in that six-hour documentary on Lifetime I watched about R. Kelly, is that they don't talk about how he, he had these issues when he was younger, which seemed to direct, I'm not a psychiatrist, but seemed to directly cause his actions later in life, and everybody wants to be like, nope, he's bad, we have to, and I always, I always make the joke, you know, let's say we cancel R. Kelly completely, 20 years go by, a kid is born, he's seven years old, he finds I believe I can fly, what do we do? We have to kill the kid. We have to murder that child. And, and I know it's a, it might be some flippancy and, and playing with extremes, but I feel like that's the, the slippery slope that we go down and in not separating the art from the artist. It sounds a lot like a modest proposal. Sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, but, but the thing to get at what you said is, or you know, to continue that idea, the people that are calling, like when somebody gets allegations to get them, like Johnny Depp for that example, the people calling for him to be removed from, say, Grindelwald in the Fantastic Beasts movie, I don't know if I believe that those people are even diehard fans of the movies. I would imagine that they are saying, oh, he needs to be removed because he did this bad thing. If you ask, of course, case-by-case basis, but I kind of have the feeling that if you ask someone, well, you know, do you like those movies? Like, are you saying this would tarnish the quality of those movies? More often than not, I think they'd say, no, I've never seen them. Yeah. And that's, I, I, that's what really blows my mind is because, well, yeah, if Johnny Depp is uh, – if actor X, Y, or Z turns out to be a monster, if they're still making money in a movie that you aren't watching, I think then it almost becomes equivalent to that accountant example you gave. You don't know who that person – what they're doing, and it's not impacting you. And that's yeah. what almost drives me it, insane is that people are, like, calling for this, this like – vigilantism of he needs to be done his career needs to be over like he could be a janitor now for all i care when it's like well how much is him being grindelwald is even impacting your life period before he was a bad guy that type of thing and and don't get me wrong there are plenty of reasons to not like amber heard outside of her relationship with johnny depp (laughs) And, and i'll continue to hold those reasons above everything else because at the end of the day we don't fucking know what happened behind closed doors with amber heard and johnny depp yep and i think i think it has become this it's kind of like the the goldfish attention span that we're getting from the internet. It's like we've also developed this this need to form an opinion about everything that happens before we even finish hearing the statement of what happened. Yep. And and as I, Rob and I were talking potentially off mic, I don't know if he was recording before the the episode. I was talking about Magic the Gathering. That, that's like that's like reading half of a card and thinking you know what it does. You don't yes. fucking know what it does until you read the other half. Exactly. And unfortunately, we're never going to be able to read the other half of this card. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great analogy in that, you know, there, there's, I think, um, maybe, once again, to get back at the, the big takeaway from this, is, I, I want the big takeaway from anybody, whether you agree or disagree with us, have your own thoughts, and read it for yourself. Stop, please stop reading the headlines only. <laughs> or, and this is maybe a radical notion, don't have an opinion about it. That's also true, that's also a fair thing to say. It is very okay for anybody to say, I don't know enough about that topic, so I can't form an opinion on it. That is, that should be the most acceptable response, I think. 
That should be the most common response. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you probably don't. Mm-hmm. You definitely don't know the the ins and outs. Like it's and this is again coming from a third party perspective. It's easy to think about Aziz Ansari in his apartment doing these creepy things to this girl and be like, oh, that's cringy and gross. Yeah. It is a lot harder to be to put yourself in that environment as Aziz Ansari, seeing what he's seeing, interpreting what he's interpreting. And feeling the emotions he's feeling at the time, maybe that's legitimately how he tries to make sexual advances, and it's gr- and and yes, maybe it's gross. Sure, but maybe he thought she was into it. You don't fucking know. I don't fucking know. It's not my job to decide if Aziz Ansari is guilty. Mm-hmm. It's not my job to decide if Johnny Depp is guilty, and it's certainly not my job to decide if somebody can work. And I, I guess that's kind of where it stops for me. Is like it's not. It's not my job, but I can tell you this. I've been falsely accused of things in my life, and I would hate for those to have ruined my career. Absolutely, yeah. That's a big part of why I'm difficult to find on the internet to some degree. I've My Facebook is not my real name, mm-hmm. and my job is never, never posted on it because my job and my social life should be unrelated to each other. Yep, yep. You know, whether how, – how, how I perform at, as a programmer – is unrelated to something stupid I did in undergrad. Exactly, exactly. But something I stupid I did in undergrad has the ability to get me fired now, despite the fact that I'm entire I'm an entirely different person. Yep. I was not even fully developed in undergrad. Mm-hmm. All of us weren't. None of us were fully yeah, developed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Twenty five and under, you're not fully developed. You're gonna change, even later than that. You're probably still gonna keep changing, and, yep. your, and your opinions about things are gonna keep changing, and you're probably gonna learn to treat people more respectfully as as you get older. Why would we ruin somebody who has changed significantly in in ten years? You know, Kevin Hart comes to mind. Sure, fourteen years old, fourteen year old tweets got him removed from what the Oscars? Yeah, why, one of the hosting gigs. Yeah. Why would we assume that he's even the same person? Absolutely. Like, there's a statute of limitations in the criminal justice system for a reason. Yeah, yeah. And the and the statute of limitations for this seems to be whatever the fuck the internet's whim is, mm-hmm. and that I have a very big problem. Yep, yep, yeah. Like like we were saying before, this this type of public opinion, this type of public vigilantism, which I I do I do think is a is a good word for it. It's, it's has no rules. That is what it is. It's vigilantism. Yeah. It is. It's not justice. It's punishment. And yes. I and I think that Rob knows what I mean, but I'm going to clarify it for the audience. Punishment and justice are different from each other. Justice is restorative. Punishment is harmful. Yeah. And sometimes restorative justice requires punishment. Other times it doesn't. And I think that we're in the situation, like, when a kid hits another kid, the punishment you give that kid is pretty small. Mm-hmm. The restorative part of that, the justice part of that, is that hopefully that kid learns and becomes rehabilitated and doesn't do it again. Yes. That's why punishment is valuable, is because it is when it's used in a manner to teach people that their behavior was unacceptable. But that punishment has to end. Mm-hmm. Because if it doesn't end, then they're a pariah forever. And and there's like an old African proverb that I'm reminded of, which is uh, so- something like the outcast from the village will burn it down to feel its warmth. Sure. Something sure. like And it's like people need love and support. They don't need to be demonized forever. Yes. Now, don't get me wrong. Some people are psychopaths and love and support's not going to change them. Mm-hmm. But that is the rare exception. Absolutely. As much as Law & Order SVU would think that happens every week, that is a rare case. <laughs> It's reminded of Criminal Minds. It's like there, there's a new serial killer every week. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. 
which is fanciful. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I don't disagree with you, and I think these are important conversations to have. And and one of the other things I wanted to bring up with this, the the one that shocked me the most of hearing the backlash that Louis C.K. got— FX canceling their deals, Netflix not doing a second special, kind of you know, par for the course. When you hear about people losing their, their you know, appearances and whatnot, that type of stuff. I was a little surprised by the um, Louis C.K., his appearance on a charity event for autism programs was canceled. And, of course, that didn't cancel the event. You know, they just removed him appearing to raise money. But it, it made me have the interesting question of, you know, whenever I make that, that, ex- that my joke to the extreme satire of, oh, we have to kill the kid that likes I believe I want to fly, I believe I can fly and doesn't know it's R. Kelly or what R. Kelly did, I had the thought, in a very comedic way, I will admit, I had the thought of, like, well, what if Louis C.K. had done charities before? Would they call for the money to be given back? That was kind of my thought, is like, what if a terrible person raises money for charity before we know they're a terrible person? What do we do about that? Is that tainted just like his FX productions, just things like that? Uh, turns- mean, only if you're half an idiot. <laughs> like, like, you're not even smart enough to be a whole idiot. That's what I'm getting. So, so it turns out that I had this thought. I, I really had, you know, with all the culture of, of cancel culture and the, the stories that have come to light, I was like, has this ever happened? Um, led me to the case of someone in Britain named Jimmy Savile. I never heard of before. Uh, I just in this research for this episode and this topic, this is exactly where I found him. But Jimmy Savile was a media personality in Britain for a long time, like active through the seventies up until he died in twenty eleven. From what I found, he raised an estimated like fifty million dollar pounds, not dollars, in charities throughout his lifetime. Uh, he also was the creator and host of a show called Jim Will Fix It which was a very long-running British TV show, which is a loose version of the Make-A-Wish Foundation, which I mean by that it wasn't just for terminally ill children, but it was more like um, like in America we have like the local news channel problem solvers. like It's like that, but with a huge jurisdiction. Like if someone called in and was like, you know, if it was a kid with a wish, they would, they would grant wishes. That, I never saw it. I just read about it. But it's like a very, very grand-scale version of Make-A-Wish for almost everybody. But this is, this is what he did. Jimmy Savile was like this, this public figure who raised money for charities in the National Health Services, so hospital-related, for all types of patients. And he was very much like this, this good person. Like he did things for other people. Uh, he was given the OBE in 1971 and knighted in 1990. So even like the queen and the royalty regarded this. Like I said before, he died in 2011. And after he died, it came into light that he was a predatory sex offender. And not just a predatory sex offender, one of the most prolific ever in Britain. Like, it is, I was actually getting, and I'm not like, like, I have a pretty tough stomach and stuff. It is really rough to see the numbers, apparently, of what he did. And you can read all about it, and it's almost ridiculous. It boils down to hundreds, if not thousands, of sexual assaults committed by him on victims from 5 years old to 75 years old. Like, he was, yeah, Ben's facial expression is probably what everybody who's never heard of this is hearing, and it's true. And during his lifetime, people kind of looked the other way. They ignored it. Um, People were, you know, victims that came forward were ignored, covered up, disbelieved, all because of the good that he was doing, apparently, for charities and things like that. And, And this is, I think, the most extreme case of that. Of course, in America, we always talk about the movie industry, which is just a goddamn, you know, self-masturbatory repeating cycle to make money. But this was different. This was, he was legitimately starting charities, raising money for charities and things like that. And it turned out he was one of the worst people ever. Like he really ruined a lot of lives, it seems. So this is like the extreme case of this ever happening. I think it's the most extreme in the world. And Britain's response, this is the thing I really looked into was, well, what happened? 
what happened to all that money you raised? What happened? And because I think in this instance, it's interesting that this only came to light after he died. The entirety of Britain has done everything in their power to completely scrub him from existence. You can read so much of what they've done, and it has, to answer the question of what happened, charities founded in his name disbanded and distributed their funds to other charities. Like, charities that he started literally said, we don't want to exist anymore. And, not on the charity side, but to the extreme side of this, his headstone was removed and destroyed. And there are, like, Britain is still calling to dig up his body and cremate it and, like, throw it in a landfill. Like, they are legitimately trying to scrub his name from existence. And I think this is an interesting thought experiment, at least, of what do we do if somebody who was so bad actually did good? And this is why it's worth talking about, because it's not like, oh, they made movies or songs I really like. That's a different story. This is the story of he probably got kids help they needed. I don't think it was something like every every bit of every kid that got money from his charities he also molested. I don't think that's the case. But I think it's definitive that his money did good things for the National Health Service and hospitals and charities. And literally some charities that, like I said, it founded in his name, disbanded and gave it to other charities, which seems to be the best outcome. I'm glad they didn't give the money back. You know, that would be ridiculous. Like, who do you give it back to? Like, did you donate to Jimmy Savile in the 70s? We're going to give you that money back. That would be ridiculous and, and almost un- infeasible. But I, I just think this is interesting to bring up in the sense of, like, this is how extreme it can get. We have a real-life country wanting to scrub the existence of someone, period. Which is really weird. I, I just, I, I don't know how much I, I have opinions on this because I just found out about it not too long ago. And from Ben's reactions, facial expressions, he didn't know about this either. But it is, it, we do have a real life case study of this happening. Somebody doing so much good, but being the worst person in existence. And it's just interesting. I think people should remember this when you think about these stories, that it can be this extreme and our reactions can be that extreme as well. Well, and you know, honestly, my, my reaction to that, my initial reaction to that is, I, I can't, I can't blame the charity at all for wanting to not be associated with his name. Anymore. Yes, yes. But I mean, it sounds, from what you've said, it sounds like this is not up for dispute. Like he did these things. Yeah, yeah. There was. You can read about the investigations. There's actually like a lot of investigations, both into, like. But yeah, yeah, there's a lot, once again, with the Louis C.K. thing too, there's a lot to read. Check it out for yourself. But it is pretty much definitive. Like, they have a lot of proof and stuff like that, that, right. that he did this. So this is beyond allegation, of course, as well. Right. So it's, it's like, I mean, if you found out that, let's say instead of sexual assault, it's like a serial killer. You know, like you live, it's like the BTK killer has started the charity you work for. Sure. So he just happens to also kill people. Because he's got that itch in his brain that can only be solved by human blood. Yeah. Do you disband the charity and, and remove your name? Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't know, don't want to be associated, you know? Yep. Um, totally. But when it comes down to, like, this situation is more of their roman- their romantic interaction got really awkward. Yes, yes. Like, like those are way different. Like, those, those are just incredibly different things. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I'm not going to suggest that that some people are hurt more than others, although it seems like in this situation it might be a pretty clear cut about who who was hurt more by by whom. Mm-hmm. Trauma is trauma, and it sucks. But how much trauma somebody feels shouldn't be considered. It, it, well, I don't know. I guess that's another question. Should the amount of trauma that somebody experienced be considered in punishment? Like, some people are going to experience a car, like, you know, just for a silly example. Sure. 
they're like going to step into the street and a car takes turns the corner too fast and almost hits them. Some people are going to have an emotional breakdown about that. Yep. Absolutely. Does that mean the person in the car now goes to jail forever because they they fucking destroyed this this uh, this really fragile person's uh, you know emotional sensibilities? Like, mm-hmm. to what degree should the amount of damage done to an individual be taken into account in sentencing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's, and, it's so it's so complicated. It's so complicated that I mean. I, I think we both agree. I think what we've been saying as well is that it's complicated, needs to be discussed and thought about. The bad response is these quick negative reactions from yes. companies and from the public and that type of stuff. Like, it would be one thing to say, we're going to put all of your contracts on pause while we decide what to do. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. If, yes. if a company came out and said, like, we, we're looking into this more, we, we, we obviously don't know all the, all the facts, and for the time being, this project, this project, and this project are on pause. Mm-hmm. Like, we just don't know what's going to happen with them. That would be great. Problem is, we live in, in a society where that would affect their stock prices. Yep, yep. And the speculation of being like, oh, they don't, they have an uncertain future now is going to fucking plummet their stock. And so, like, they're making knee-jerk reactions again because, and, and this is the thing where it's where it's just so weird because it's like the people who are anti-capitalism are the people who are pushing these companies to do things that are very capitalistic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's baffling. It really is baffling, you know, when you get to the nitty-gritty of it, of how, I, I think you said it before, the inconsistency with some of the things that we see. Uh, when I say we here, I mean you and I, you know, and we've talked about this a lot before, the inconsistency in the long run of these things, where, yes. where you know, there's so much, um, so much, like, vitriolic response from so many people as soon as this happens, and then... It's completely gone when the next thing happens. The ADD of culture and society as a whole, it's, we've seen it our whole lives, and I feel like people need to think about that more. I mean, even when we were young, ti- what, Tiger Woods had cheated on his wife with a billion women or something like that? Yes. That was yep. the biggest news story for a week, and yep. everybody forgot about that completely. And, you know, South Park yep. made fun of it a few years later. People were like, I kind of remember that happened. And it's right. like, well, did you kind of remember that you, you know, you made it the most important issue in America for that week? That maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. Maybe we should calm down about some of these things when they are so new and and un unanswered, like with the Louis C.K. thing. There we only have one side of the story so far. Maybe we shouldn't, you know, have such a quick reaction. That, that reminds me of a quote. There's somebody that was on the Joe Rogan podcast. He said something like, man, there's some poor guy out there on an island, and uh, he doesn't know who to be mad at because nobody's telling him. <laughs> yes. It's just like... Yes. Yeah. It's a, no, I think it, this is definitely a worthwhile discussion. Um, it's, it's a complicated one, which you should have opinions on because it impacts our culture so heavily. And uh, if Zach were here, right. I know exactly what he'd say. This is a weird Pootie Tang discussion. <laughs> well, so... To that, to what you said, like I think you should have opinions about the overall topic of the knee-jerk reaction. Yes. But about the individual instances, how can you have an opinion about everything? Exactly. Exactly. You can't. Yep. And you shouldn't. And you shouldn't try to. It would be exhausting. Absolutely. It's bad for your life. Yeah. <laughs> this, you don't need that stress about people who will never know of your existence. Right. Well, and it, it's kind of like when you meet somebody who tells you that biscuits and gravy isn't a meal. Just get rid of that. You don't need that shit in your life. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Ben, I kind of agree with them. Biscuits and gravy isn't a meal. It's a way of life. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Fair. All right. Oh, man. Oh, man. 
Um, yeah, I, so so that was our that was our little tangent into Louis C.K. I, like I said, I really wanted to talk about that because that is interesting. And I guess I should also say, I I knew I was I wanted to dive into that before I had watched Pootie Tang because I knew this was a Louis C.K. movie. I based on what we said at the start, I was also expecting to have so little to say about Pootie Tang that this would have been the episode. Turns out this episode's just going to be a doozy because I have so much to say about Pootie Tang as well, but I didn't want to skip the Louis C.K. stuff. Sure, sure. <laughs> and then we're going to take a huge shift into funny, goofy laughing. It's going to be a complete whiplash for this episode. <laughs> so with that out of the way, are you ready to talk about Pootie Tang, Ben? What I tell you. What I tell I love this movie. <laughs> it is so fascinating. Uh... I, I think the best place to start is that um, – I know I mentioned it before, but a little bit of background that I think is important to this movie. You know, Louis C.K. invents this character. Uh, he actually comes up – apparently during – when he, Louis C.K. was a child, he would, like, talk gibberish to adults. But he would try to do it with, like, an air of confidence. Like, talk – could you talk gibberish in a way that, like, should make other people feel like they should understand you? Like, that was his whole inspiration. I thought it was interesting. They don't run the sketch, like, right away on the Chris Rock show. They, like, rehearsed it and held on to it for a month. And then one night when they were recording, because they filmed in front of a live audience, the Chris Rock show, they they were going to do a sketch where Chris Rock was going to interview a man who was completely wrapped in bandages because he had all his skin removed due to extreme white guilt. They chose not to do that because for some – I couldn't find exactly why, but I think Louis C.K. was like, oh, we didn't think that was going to hit as well. So they put Pootie Tang in at the last minute, and apparently it was a huge hit. Like, the audience loved it. And so that was kind of the start of the character. There's a great the, – this interview I found at the AV Club with um, Louis C.K. talking about Pootie Tang is, is a really good, like, retrospective of the movie. I love that at a point Louis C.K. says, we only had Pootie Tang on the show, like, once a season – because, and I quote, we didn't want to become like SNL and drag shit into the ground. <laughs> and I was like, nice. <laughs> but they kept working with um, Pootie Tang and a few sketches. People liked it. They were all, it was well received. Um, and then at one point, Louis C.K. and Chris Rock, he says they were at Paramount working on a movie. I imagine that would have to be down to earth uh, based on the timeline. And that's when Louis C.K. pitched Pootie Tang movie to Paramount, and they agreed. Now, it started that Pootie Tang, the movie, was going to be small. Like, they didn't give him a lot of money, and they basically said, like, we're going to give you creative control, that type of stuff, and you just make this movie type of thing. And originally, as something we men mentioned earlier, Louis C.K. wrote Pootie Tang more like Shaft. He was more violent and stuff like that. Like, he had a gun as well. And while he was developing this movie, at some point the executives at Paramount thought it could be a real moneymaker. And Louis C.K. cites that... He was told by a Paramount executive that they wanted, quote, Austin Powers for black people. And Louis C.K. was like, that's not what I wrote, but, uh, you know, I'll take some more money. But in taking that money, he didn't realize that they started to really scrutinize his ideas in the process. And since Paramount wanted this to be such a big moneymaker, they wanted something less violent, which caused Louis C.K. to rewrite the script and make Pootie Tang the gangster with a heart of gold, like the, the champion of the kids and women, and he took out the gun and he put in the belt and the karate instead. And Louis C.K. was actually okay with this. Louis C.K. realized after he did this, he was like, oh, this works a lot better for the character. And I guess we should say as well, Pootie Tang on The Chris Rock Show is just somebody who speaks gibberish and promotes his movies and music. He has none of this, like, you know, belt or PSAs that he has in the movie. So the movie is really the fleshing out of that character. After he makes this movie... Uh, he he 
says that Paramount is very upset with it. Because what they wanted, Austin Powers for black people apparently, is not what this movie was. And Louis C.K. wanted to do reshoots and changes, but Paramount was not confident in him to actually be able to fix it. And Paramount was really tempted to just shelve this movie. They were like, this is bad. We are just going to say, like, basically ignore it type of thing. But Chris Rock is the one who pushes it to the finish line, and he works with Paramount to try and make it something that they would be happy with. And this is where we get things like the narration in the movie that was never intended to be in there. And we get some of the things that highlight the strangeness of the character. And Louis C.K. highlights specifically, to this extent, the corn scene in Pootie Tang. So there's a point in this movie where Pootie Tang goes to live on a farm. <laughs> that is a real thing that happens. And there's a scene where he, he, he like basically grows one stalk of corn. But that stalk of corn eventually dies. And that scene where the, he realizes the corn is dead is the scene Louis C.K. highlights. And he says that the intention of that scene was to be full-fledged, dramatic, and sad. It was supposed to convey the idea that Pootie Tang had felt reborn through this single stalk of corn and that it really was almost like his child. And that's what Louis C.K. said he was going for. He, he wanted the audience to believe that the people in the movie were taking themselves seriously. And his problem with what Paramount did to it is that it does the exact opposite. That the movie as it exists now causes the viewers to think that the people who made the movie don't like it. And even if you remember, Ben, in that scene, when Pootie Tang is upset about his dead stalk of corn, the narrator says, look at this fool crying over a stalk of corn. What's his problem? Like, the movie is actively undercutting that we should, be, we should care about how Pootie Tang feels about corn in that scene. So there is, this is an important thing to say, that this is not the vision that Louis C.K. had. This is not like, you know, this is what Louis C.K. wanted to make and this is what got made. I think since this had so much studio meddling and it's different and a mishmash of ideas and people fundamentally misunderstanding what it should be, wanting it to be Austin Powers, makes me love it more. I think that there's a level of this movie that I love because it's such a mess. <coughs> Excuse me. Because it's such a mess. And this is best summed up by Roger Ebert's review of this movie back in 2001. The last sentence of Robert, Roger Ebert's review is just the words, this film is not in releasable condition. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I entirely agree with that. I still love it, don't get me wrong, but this is part of why I think I love it, because this movie is so goddamn all over the place. And this is what I love from sketch comedy in general. I, I, I think if everybody knows what I love, the one type of media I truly love is sketch comedy. The thing I love about sketch comedy is that it's not continuous hit after hit. I love that I can watch things and go, that is really funny, I'm laughing out loud. And then two seconds later, I'm going, oh my god, that is so stupid. And then five seconds later, I'm in awe of how they could think of an idea like that. I want to have a mishmash of comedy, I guess, and ideas. And that's what this movie ends up pulling off. From the thing like the gorilla that's so goofy and absurd that I find funny, to I am literally in awe of the, the five-minute scene where Pootie Tang and the world is loving his silent single... There's a whole silent piece of music in this movie for a little bit. I'm in awe of that idea. And then I'm groaning at things, you know, with like Wanda Sykes. And, and there's a scene where a woman bends down on her knees and drinks milk out of a bowl. And I'm just like, oh, God. But that's why I love this movie. It's all over the place. It has all these ideas. It truly is like I'm watching long-form sketch comedy. And, uh, you know, it's not like just, just a perfect film. 
So did you get that sense, Ben, as well? Like, I, I know we, we both are on the fence that we found this really funny, but did you have, like, any issues with the movie and kind of how uneven it was, I guess? That would be the best way to sum up what I thought of it. I mean, any, any story is going to have changes in tone. Sure. So, no, it didn't really feel that weird to me that oh, okay. this movie had changes in tone. <laughs> okay, um, okay. I, I I didn't feel. I mean, I I definitely get where you're coming from, with like the the vibe of like this the different sketches. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I've I've seen movies where people go out to be on a farm for some amount of time, and then like <laughs> sure, it's it's not like I guess there was nothing in it that really made me think that this couldn't be a movie, um, or that it wasn't releasable. That's that's a funny thing to say about a movie when you're reviewing it. Sure. Um, but I think. If this movie had taken itself seriously, I think it would have sucked. Oh, I think it would okay. have been awful if okay. it had taken itself seriously. Because if it had taken itself seriously, almost everything that I found funny about it becomes cringy. That's that's a good point. That's a good point for sure. Because it, I, I feel like there is a level of, even though, like we said, the narration is not was not Louis C.K.'s initial idea, there is a level of... Of funny, of of enjoyment and, and you know hilarity that I get from you know the narrator undercutting some of the things that we're seeing in the movie. Like that is comical to the extent of you know, oh look at this fool, why is he crying over corn? Get a life, booty tang. Like that's that's not terrible. It's not my favorite joke or anything, but it adds a layer to that where you know. I'm laughing at that, and I'm laughing at the sense that Pootie Tang is legitimately upset about one stalk of corn. Like, that, I think, is, a, is good imagery. But you're right. If this took it more seriously, you might be like, oh, really? This is what they're trying to go for or something like that. Right. Uh, and, I mean, the whole, like, he, like, dodges bullets and whips them around with his hair and shit. Like, yes, yes. Like, Those bullets they... are huge, too. Yes, <laughs> if, if they wanted me to take that seriously... I, I would just be like this is this is dumb. Sure, like, this is, sure. If like if I'm taking if I'm looking at this from a serious perspective, this is obviously stupid. Yes, yes. No, no. You're not. Uh, you're not wrong there. Absolutely. Uh, that one of my notes is literally why are the bullets Pootie Tang's dodging and deflecting so big? <laughs> <laughs> so you can see them. Oh man. So so I. I understand where you're coming from. The um the not releasable aspect of this movie that I think I agree with, uh, which is once again. Why I, I'm not saying this is a bad thing about this movie. I think, if anything, this movie should be shown in film school as a lesson. This movie is a testament to the importance of the 30-degree rule. For anybody that does not know, the 30-degree rule in, in filmmaking or media is that if you are filming something and you want to have an edit to another shot of the same thing, that new shot should be at least 30 degrees different from the previous. Otherwise, the edit is incredibly jarring. And this movie breaks the 30-degree rule at only almost every single chance it can get. Like, there's some scenes in this movie where I was literally yelping while watching it. Like, I was like, oh, oh! Like, I was jump scares. The cuts were so bad. The editing was so atrocious. And like I said, testament to the importance of the 30-degree rule. Like, you see the 30-degree rule being broken in, like, music videos and really, really goofy comedies where it's, like, very closely doing jump cuts around one thing for whatever reason— this movie does it so often that I am almost shocked by it. And I don't know if you notice anything like that. I know this has become a thing on Cinemodities. Like when Zach and I talked about Pearl Harbor, there is a moment where they break the 180-degree rule in Pearl, in Pearl Harbor where I literally screamed at my TV. Like it was a jump scare. Like I screamed like, you know, something scary happened. I notice it so much. And this movie did the same thing to me. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't think I don't think I noticed it much. Um, I mean, with the exception of this of the scene where Dirty D and and Hootie Tang are facing off in, in the farm area, <laughs> okay. but that was that is there. that is one of the moments I'm in awe of this movie. That it implies that Pootie Tang is so badass he can like quantum teleport through another person. <laughs> I I thought that that scene was phenomenal. At first, I was like, "Oh, the relative positions have changed." Like that's a weird mistake. Yes. And then, then I realized it wasn't a mistake; it was a choice. And also and, uh, in that scene, if you notice that when it's like when Pootie Tang gets the belt back or whatever happens to, for that final showdown, in the scene of the editing for them getting closer and then passing through each other. Everybody else in that scene is gone. There's no sheriff. There are no Dirty D's like minions. It's just them. It's like mm-hmm. it's like Pootie Tang did his like his like ultimate move in a fighting game. It is ridiculous. I love that scene as well. That that is one of the moments where I'm like, oh my god, am I really going to love this movie? And by that point, I was like 90% sold. I'm like 100% sold by that point in the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's um, it's it's fantastic and. I mean, like, when they're touching, like, their arms are outreached. Yes, like, yes. I was just, like, right on. And <laughs> it, the wonderful, the wonderful, well, one, it does the thing of, of a lot of comedy of pushing something to the absurd extreme, where they start getting closer. Like you said, they're so close, and their arms are outreached to reach past each other. And it goes even further that they, like, teleport through each other. And then the wonderful button of Dirty D going, what? Like, he is confused <laughs> about what just happened. And then just getting karate chopped from behind him is it, it might be a perfect little bit of comedy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I would have to agree. It's uh, immaculate. It is, it is so, so good to see stuff like that, that it is, it is wonderful. And I think that's a good example of, like, like you started to say, where the editing is used for comedic effect, um, which I'm totally for. Editing puts a lot into, you know, that's, I like, think, the, the bread and butter of Tim and Eric is that their editing makes those things work, their sketches work. Um, it's in some of the more basic stuff. If you have anybody watches this movie, keep an eye on like when just two characters are talking or we're just watching Pootie Tang have reactions. They break the 30-degree rule, and it, it, I think it's very noticeable. And like I said, it should be shown in film schools to, to illustrate the importance of the 30-degree rule. Other than that, I think everything in this movie that's bad works for the movie. Like, example, Dave Attell shows up. Dave Attell plays um, Mr. Lecter's, like, right-hand man, or Dick Lecter's right-hand man, the one who goes to try and get Pootie Tang to sign the contract initially. In the scene where he drives up in the limo, Dave Attell gets out, and he's like, Pootie Tang, we want you to sign this contract and stuff. Dave Attell is doing some of the worst acting I think I've ever seen in my life. It seems to me like he is, like, an eight-year-old kid in a school play, nervous that his parents are watching him. I think it is horrible, but it works so well because Pootie Tang and his friends are so fly, so cool. They're all like jiving with each other that he comes in as nervous and awkward as he is that it actually makes the scene work better that there's such a divide between Pootie Tang and the corporations of America. But just in a vacuum, Dave Attell should never have worked in Hollywood again. But also, I haven't thought of Dave Attell in, like, 15 years, which was crazy to see him in this movie. <laughs> I mean, how do we know that, that wasn't his direction, that he was it, supposed to be nervous? Exactly. It, exactly. It, it, it could have been. It could have been. Oh, which is always um, why, why I like talking about this stuff, Ben. You give the movie credit a, a lot of times. <laughs> and you could be – Louis C.K. could have been, like, be terrible, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, could, he definitely could have said, like, act nervous. Yep, be... yep. Act like you're not in your element because you're not in your element in this 
particular yeah, scene. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's the thing that I don't know if that was the direction, but it works for the movie, like I said. Like, this movie really does work on every level for me. And I guess we should kind of give a plot breakdown. The gist of this movie, beyond Pootie Tang being, we can't understand it, but everybody else can, he is like a champion for kids and women and healthy eating and not doing drugs, so much so that he's doing PSAs. I don't know who's funding these PSAs, but they're happening somehow. And and corporate America, or Dick Lecter, and whatever his corporation's called, doesn't like this because his PSAs, Pootie Tang's PSAs, are, like, damaging their business. Like, these, his PSAs are actually working. And they basically want to get Pootie Tang out of the way and use his imagery to sell hamburgers. Like, the movie boils down to hamburgers and whiskey at a certain point, I think. I think that's and like rat the, poison. And rat poison, yeah. I think that's, like, the bare bones of this movie that Pootie Tang at the end has to come back and, you know, stop the corporation from selling hamburgers to kids or something like that. The, the plot, to me, almost is the least interesting part of this movie. <laughs> Big time. You know, throughout the plot, at the beginning of the... Well, I, actually, hold on. The plot... Is really that this is that this is a clip of a movie we're seeing on a talk show? Oh my god! Yes, that that was the other thing. the The last thing in this movie, well, the the framing device is that he's talking to Bob Costas, and he's like, "Good to have you, Pootie Tang. I hear you have a clip of your new movie." And he's like, "Yeah, let's see it." And at the end of the movie, it comes back, and Bob Costas goes, "That was the longest movie clip I've ever seen." <laughs> <laughs> so you're right. You're right. That that. The whole thing is technically a movie, I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, we got a movie and a movie. But then, at some point, David Cross is in blackface pretending to be Pootie Tang. Yes. And, like, a bunch of different people have been trained via watching movies to act like Pootie Tang, or watching videos, yep. uh, so that the corp- corporation can continue to use his likeness while he is missing, mm-hmm. while, uh, while he's on the farm. Uh, and then, at some point, Pootie Tang rubs the contents of the cherry pie all over his body, which <laughs> that was disturbing, disturbingly arousing. Um, yes. Oh yeah. No, be a Pootie Tang's, uh, because we can't understand him. The way he delivers this gibberish dialogue is really good. Like it, it is believable. Like there's stuff that I see him say and I'm like, damn, I should know what he's saying. You know, <laughs> when he's not doing dialogue, the things he's doing like physically are, bonkers like the cherry pie thing because that whole scene he's rubbing cherry pie on his body i almost i like physically cringe like a shiver went through my body when he's when in that scene we see him with a handful of gloopy cherry pie rub it on like his wife beater like the shoulder strap of his wife beater and i'm like i'm like okay rubbing food on your body is one thing but he's actively staining the white shirt he's wearing with it but that whole scene the the sheriff's daughter is doing all the talking, and he's just f- doing all the physical acting. And even before that, what blew me away is in the scene right before David David Tell shows up and he's talking to his friends, there's parts where we see Pootie Tang in the middle and his friends on either side, and his friends are talking about something. I don't know, I don't remember exactly what, but they're, ha- they're Biggie, like, I think... Biggie Shorty's party. Biggie Shorty's party, yes. While Pootie Tang's not talking, he is, with both hands, stroking his chest hair. Just just going, I'm doing it for Ben, just straight up, like, stroking like he would stroke a beard, but with both hands, his chest hair. And I'm watching this going, oh my god, like, this is hilarious. Like, I've never thought of anybody doing this before. Like, I love it. Like, it's those things that I, this is why I love sketch comedy. I don't envision a universe 
that you gave me a million dollars in time to write a sketch comedy show, I would never think of something like that. And that's why I love this. I'm just like, oh my god. And then I'm mesmerized at the scene of him just constantly stroking his his chest hair. Because I guess we should say he basically doesn't have a shirt on the whole movie. <laughs> oh yeah, he sure is. I think the whole time, except when he's a six year old. Yes. And when he's on the farm. Yes. Um, the moment that I, I think we mentioned it before, when Dirty D shows up right at the beginning and that set design of the dirt on him, the cars, everything, I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, this might be something I'm really into. I think the moment that truly sells me on the movie is at the end of that scene when Pootie Tang is chasing Dirty D and he's like in the car with him while the car is still being driven. We get a shot of the car going down the street and it cuts to a woman on the side of the street who goes, hiya Pootie Tang. It cuts back to Pootie Tang hanging out of the car, the window of the car, and he goes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, fucking I'm sold. Like, that moment sold me that his response was, haha, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm just... Hiya, Pootie Tang. <laughs> yeah. Look, I wash that moment, I fell in love with this movie. And it, everything past that, I was just so on board. This movie hooked me and never lost me, I think is the best way to say it. Uh, what did you think of the little dance number he did when he got out of his car? <laughs> and I believe the, the license plate says something like Kappa. It, it's like, or like Kipa or Klepa or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. And, sure. oh, it's wonderful. Uh, of course, going into this movie not really understanding what Pootie Tang is... That introduction, I'm like, this is all I need to know. And then when he says, ha yeah, to the woman while he's fighting Dirty D, I'm like, perfect. This is, I think I knew at that moment that they were going to take this character and own it. Like, this is what this character's going to be. We're going to stick to it type of thing. Yeah. And owning the craziness of this character, I think, is why it works so well in this movie. That there's no moment of, like, you know, there's no, like, meta moment of somebody not understanding him or something like that. Like, like, there's a meta moment at the end of Bob Costas, you know, understanding him, but thinking he's saying something offensive, it seems. Like, right. that's the closest that it gets to, which also turns out, as I found from watching his appearance on the Chris Rock show, uh, Pootie Tang, not Bob Costas, that that was one of the bits they did in his first sketch. Like, Pootie Tang says something at the end of the Chris Rock interview, and Chris Rock is like, what the fuck did you just say to me? You know, that type of thing. Um, okay. So that was in his character. But there's, there's never any moment where, like, the sh other shoe drops... And we understand why Pootie Tang is this way. Like you said, it's wonderful that the establishment is he was, is, and always will be too cool for words. And they just stick with that. And I'm so happy to see them just own a character. And I think, if I, if I remember right, they even choose a weird way to say that because they say was, is, and will always be. Yes. Yeah, instead it, of always will be. Yeah. It's, it's too cool for words. And the then it shows up a newspaper. so wonderful. <laughs> Like, he shows the newspaper, and he's saying, like, was it Sepatown or... Something like that, yeah. <laughs> Sepatown, Chepatown, Capitao, Sadate, Wadata. Those are the ones we hear a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, Maine, Maine Damey. Yep, my Damey is something like that, yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's great. I, I, like I said before, you know, there's a lot in this movie that makes me feel different ways in terms of the comedy. And, and like I think I've told you before, Ben, that there, the moments in comedy that I love, I don't really laugh at. I'm more in awe of them. Like, in the sense of that I never would have thought of that. Or maybe it, it transcends being funny in the sense that it listens to that response from me. It, it reaches some level of, this is such a good idea. Like, it's like, it's not even that it's a funny idea. It's a good idea just in general. 
And this movie hit that very early on when we are following young Pootie Tang, like his, his rise to power when he's, you know, his parents die and stuff like that. The establishment that even at a young age, he was good with women. We get a scene, very common, everybody's going to know it if you see it, of the grown woman yelling out of a window, throwing things down at a person. It cuts to, of course, reveal that it is a very young Pootie Tang, I think six years old or something. And so right off the bat, that's, that's just funny, I think, just in general funny, that you have this grown woman yelling angrily like a breakup at a young kid. But it transcends uh, this whole level and turns immaculate when she throws his big wheel little bike out of the window. Tri- yeah, the big I am, I'm like, oh my god, that is hilarious. Because that's where the kid would have the big wheel, in the apartment. Like, the kid's not <laughs> riding around on the, on the, on the street <laughs> with a big wheel. Like, you, you can't see, like, in an adult relationship, you can't, like, throw somebody's car out the window. But you can throw a big wheel out the window. And I, I'm just like, oh my god, that is genuinely a great idea for a movie <laughs> well i mean and it also like it implies that he was in this lady's house mm-hmm. and stuff like mm-hmm. as a six-year-old kid De- yeah definitely um th- to that end there is some other like female on male rapey stuff in this movie yes absolutely um stuff that that falls into the category of stuff that i laughed at and then as after as i was laughing at i was like oh that's a little strange though uh, the scene when when what Pootie Tang is so disheveled because he lost his belt that his his shirt and pants are like hanging off of him and he goes to find Wanda Sykes, Biggie Shorty, and Wanda Sykes says something like, "Biggie Shorty's gonna take care of you. I'm gonna have sex with you too." Finally, <laughs> and I, I I thought that her delivery, Wanda Sykes is a very funny person, but I found that hilarious. Pootie. Oh, pooty. Pooty That's all right. Mama's got you. That's all right. Biggie Shorty's gonna take care of you. Don't you worry. Gonna have sex with you too, you know. Finally. And then while I'm laughing at it, I'm like, oh no, Pooty Tang. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, also in that vein, the, the narration uh, that said, you can't hit hoes with a belt, they like that shit. And I'm like, that something Zach and I talk about a lot. If this script came around today, that line would have got the biggest, reddest marker put through it. <laughs> like, they would have been like, no, no to that line. <laughs> hoes do like that shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's you're, you're right the cringiness um i'm trying to think of others oh the uh are you are you thinking of also the one where um the the wife of dick lecter tries to get the info from jb smooth in like the boiler room yes and she's yes, like like clearly yeah they're like clearly fully clothed but she's just like dry humping them but the way it's edited it's supposed to imply that they're having sex i think it's very strange <laughs> yes yeah that was definitely pretty rapey yeah they're just Definitely more female raping men vibes than than alter, you know the other way around in this movie, which was interesting. Yes, yes, and I definitely think that if if Louis C.K. did have more of a say in this, I think we would have gotten more on the the idea of Pootie Tang being like a champion for women. 
I think it doesn't come across exactly, but I see the seeds of it in this movie. Like, we get the scene that after Pootie Tang sings um, with Missy Elliott, who shows up in this movie, after he sings at Pootie Tang's Tinnies, I think the place is called, he goes into the elevator, and there's that groupie that's following him, just hanging on to him, full-on screaming into his shoulder. That, I was laughing hysterically, that she is so all over him, her mouth is literally right up to his shoulder, and she's like, ah! And he doesn't, like, take advantage of her and have sex with her. He literally pushes her away and gives her a saucer of milk at the end. (laughs) But I think we would have got more of that, where Pootie Tang was like, oh, no, like, you know, I'm not just going to have sex with everybody because they throw themselves at me type of thing. I have standards or something like that. Like I, th- like I said, but, the seeds are there. It just doesn't own it completely. his weakness was hose. Yes, his weakness was hose. <laughs> that's, that's when, when Jennifer Coolidge in the grocery store, when she has the cart, knocks over a bunch of shit in the aisle, and then really strongly slams it into his cart and goes, oh, I'm sorry. It seems like our carts hit each other. And then yeah, just starts he's... slapping Pootie Tang. <laughs> He starts blocking with bags of chips. Yes. She's like popping them open when she hits them. Oh man, that was ridiculous. It it is. It is so ridiculous that you can't help but like it's so. It, I, I pers- it's one of those things where of course comedy is subjective, and I found it very funny. But I don't think you can be against how absolutely absurd that is. That she is legitimately like knocking over everything in that aisle, and then doing damage to the carts with how strong they get slammed together and then just slapping Pootie Tang. That is like a hundred percent absurd. It's amazing. Definitely. Yeah. That was, um, watching her slap him repeatedly was, was, that was tough to watch. (laughs) Because also you don't expect it. You think that she's just going to try to seduce him to get the belt, but she's straight up abusing him in public. (laughs) Oh, and, and he like is hurt. Like it looks like he is like, uh, Rocked, I think, is the word that he yes. used. He's getting hit by a boxer, you know. Like, oh, that one rocked him. Like, he, he looks like he is going down. And he's, like, leaning against the chip rack for su- support. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. It is It is very rough to watch. But it is, it is just so out of left field, even for that point in the movie, that mm-hmm. you're just kind of, like, like I said, I'm in awe of it. You know, that type of thing. Um, and, and Jennifer Coolidge, of course, plays Irene. <laughs> Remember? Oh, it, it's, it says that when it's like, who are you? And then the screen says, Irene, remember? Yes. I love that the movie almost does that twice because they the, with the title card that you mentioned, they only do once. But I love later on when Pootie Tang's at the farm, he goes into the uh, convenience store when he gets gas. And he goes in and the sheriff and the sheriff's daughter are there. And the sheriff's like, this is my daughter, Stacy, or whatever. Um, maybe she's a looker, ain't she? You know, that type of thing. And they have their moment when... Like, less than five minutes later, move real time, when she goes to Pootie Tang to drop off the cherry pie, the the movie stops and reminds us that she's the sheriff's daughter. Yeah. And I love that, that, it's, like, that is making fun of me. Like, like, I always hate when movies do that. Like, they set up something at the beginning and at the end when it needs to be, when you're supposed to have that moment of realization that that was, oh, I remember that, when the movie will undercut itself and tell you or, like, You'll hear somebody, like, hearing it in their head, or they'll cut back to it in a flashback. I hate that because it's like we're not dumb as an audience, you know? This movie is like— might have been in the bathroom. It it puts it so close together that it's hilarious. Definitely. (laughs) Oh, God. The scene where where the sheriff is like, so I heard you and Stacy had your time together. Yep. 
And he pulls out his gun. He's like, when's the wedding? Yes. When's the wedding? When, when Pootie Tang and the daughter, Pootie Tang, of course, at the gas pump talking to the sheriff, the daughter in the sheriff's car, the way that they wave at each other is ridiculous. Like, the daughter's hand is, like, in... It's, she's basically doing the, this is my strong hand motion from Scary Movie 2, but waving with it. She's like, you know, like, um, it's, it's like she has a deformed hand or something. And then it cuts to Pootie Tang, who does almost the same wave in response. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely seems like he was just copying her in that, in that scene. Yes, yes. Um, but we, we should say, like, I think the movie plays it like she... The sheriff talks about his daughter being attractive. She is not attractive. She's she's definitely not what you would think of as like you know um, a love interest for a movie or anything like that. Right. It's it's not as bad as um, there's a scene in uh, Don't Be a Menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood, where they have one of the black guys hitting on a white girl, and the white girl is crazy unattractive, okay. like like very very unattractive. Like you'd have to see it. You, like I cannot describe it without being very mean. I think. <laughs> Sure. Uh, but but they didn't go full on crazy unattractive. They just did yeah. kind of uh, you know average. Homely. Yeah, yeah, homely average, like what you'd expect from like I, I, I guess you know like a like an out on the farm type of girl. You know, right? Doesn't know a lot about makeup. Has just like the the frumpy hairstyle and clothes because that's all she knows type of thing. Um, but you're absolutely right. Where she's not you know, uh, a, a bombshell or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. She's not a bombshell. And in the movie, I, I, I definitely felt like it was kind of playing it that way on purpose. Like, she's supposed yes. to be. Yes. Um, Speaking of her and the wedding, did you get the sense that after her and Pootie Tang have sex, in a great setup with the cherry pie we mentioned, but also that she jumps on him and they crash through a window, which I loved that little set piece, did you get the sense that the woman didn't even want to get married? Yes. Yeah, I was getting that at the end. Like, when the wedding happens and J.B. Smoove shows up and goes, like, I've been looking everywhere for Pootie Tang. I just kind of forgot I left him at the farm. Like, that's yeah. how they explain that he, he wasn't in the movie for a little bit. Like, it, it definitely plays to me that the, the girl doesn't want to get married. That the, the dad is really forcing everybody in this scenario. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely... Uh, the vibe I was getting from it is, like, maybe she's more like embarrassed that her dad's like forcing this situation okay. and like you know wants to attract a mate on her own yes. type of sure sure uh thing so i don't know that's that's kind of the way that i read that yeah it, it was one it was something that it came off through the body language and the physical acting so clearly to me that i thought the movie was going to say something about it but it didn't and of course as we know at the end of the movie uh jb smooth trucky as he plays in this movie ends up marrying the sheriff's daughter. And that is a wonderful little bit at the end when, what, like, Pootie Tang has his, like, return to fame, and uh, it cuts to uh, J.B. Smooth Trucky and the wife, the sheriff's daughter, in their house. And he pulls out the lasagna, and she says, Trucky, I can't believe you burnt that lasagna again! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she likes laying into him. Oh, shit, lasagna! What? For, for somebody who who had to have her dad find her a husband at gunpoint, <laughs> she, she's not being a great wife. It's it's a very I I've said it I've said it before. I don't think on this on this podcast though, but 
you can never, if you're in comedy, if you're trying to be funny, do not underestimate how funny the word again can be. Like, just adding, you burnt that lasagna again implies so much hilarity. How many times has he burnt the lasagna? Have he been, bur- been burning lasagnas once a week or many times that day? It lets your <laughs> imagination flourish. And, and it's also a great, I think th- this has been done a lot, but um, there's examples of when you'll have someone, I, I know the joke is like someone will write like an angry letter to a company. And the wonderful aspect of that joke is you say like, oh, I had a bad experience, you know, with, um, you know, like, let's say I bought a pack of uh, like Reese's and I only had one Reese's peanut butter cup in it. I'm furious. I'm going to write a letter to Reese's. And it cuts to somebody writing the letter. Hello, Reese's. It's me again. I got another packet of, of peanut butter cups without a peanut butter. Like, just adding again. The word again has so much comedic value that it should never be underestimated. It's <laughs> interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's me again implying some expected level of familiarity. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, it lets the imagination run wild, and it is so such an important word in comedy. I love when it happens. But that line, that delivery, you burnt the, I can't believe you burnt the lasagna again. And it's just like, lasagna you leave in the oven for so long. Like, you have to legitimately forget that you're making lasagna to burn it, I feel. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you can burn the top of lasagna and yes. still have edible lasagna. Yeah. Like, there, there is so much time that has to pass for it to become <laughs> inedible. Yeah, so it's wonderful. Like, yeah, once it's like third, like when it's cooked, it's not anywhere close to being burnt. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, like you said, what at least uh, probably an hour you would need for it to start to be like this is probably too dry to enjoy. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's it's great, and it's also it's a, it's good comedic writing that they choose lasagna, you know, because it lets us think about that. Where, of course, I think very easily you'd be like, oh, you burnt the casserole. Burnt anything that could take quicker to cook that you might accidentally burn or something like that. Right. It's a good choice of lasagna. My, my favorite thing in comedy to say you burned is pasta. Because to burn <laughs> pasta, you have to let it cook so long that all the water evaporates and then you're just heating pasta. <laughs> <laughs> but lasagna is really good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, as long as you've got noodles in it, so... Yeah, know. yeah, it's on, it's on that same line. Um, I, I guess on the topic of things I found 100% truly hilarious, the line from J.B. Smoove as the narrator, uh, he said that Pootie Tang got rejuvenated. He was juvenated before, lost it, and got juvenated again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that was wonderful. And, and, you know, as much as we said, you know, Louis C.K. didn't want that narration... J.B. Smoove is a really funny person. I've liked J.B. Smoove for a long time, and I think he really got known when he, uh, he played Leon Black on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Still does to this day, at least in the last season. Uh, and he is hilarious on that show, and he's a really funny person. And I'm glad I got to see him in this movie. He is the one, though, that reveals the secret of the belt to uh, Irene, which doesn't get explained to Pootie Tang until later on, because, and I want to talk about this scene, because Pootie Tang has to stop a mugger in the middle of this movie. There's a point where someone tries to mug Pootie Tang with a knife. Yeah. Pootie Tang basically, like, convinces him not to mug or something and, like, gets him on the ground. And, you know, it's a very much like Pootie Tang's a superhero, that type of aspect. But now, while the mugger's on the ground, he pulls out a gun. Why would you not start with the gun if you're mugging somebody? That is my question about that mugger. 
wouldn't you take the more lethal thing to threaten someone initially if you just want their wallet, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's a decision there. Uh, and then, like, the, the way that he fires the gun at Booty Tang is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's like he thinks he's propelling the bullets by moving the gun around. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's just like, uh, it's like jamming it at him as he shoots. It definitely made me think of, like, um, when you're playing, like, a racing video game and you're moving with your movements with the controller like it's gonna do something (laughs) like you're leaning into your turns like this dude is like doing a stabbing motion with the gun (laughs) and it's like is that adding power to it (laughs) (laughs) it's 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 wonderful it's absolutely wonderful um so you mentioned it before we have to talk about it uh david cross shows up in blackface (laughs) that was very surprising to see now this is the thing i wanted to ask you though it, we see him twice. We see him once in the instructional video for other Pootie Tangs, and then he shows up at the uh, Pootie's Bad Time Burgers, I think it's called, is like the restaurant yeah. that they're opening. And the two times we see him, I don't think it's full blackface or what I would expect from blackface. It's more like he just has bronzer on. What did, what did you think? Uh, definitely at least the second time I noticed that Okay, he's shirtless, I think. And the bronzer, or, or the, well, the coloration on his skin moving down his chest is, like, spottier and spottier as it goes down. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, and I, I definitely think the movie is playing that it's a bad version of a Pootie impersonator, you know? Yes, um, yeah. But, and that's why I think, you know, it's intentional, but I don't think it's, like, full... It might be, like, intentionally bad blackface, if that is a thing. <laughs> yeah. I, so... And then a- after that, like, we-, we see the rest of the Pootie Tang impersonators all come out, and they're all white. Yes. I think it, that they missed a comedic opportunity to include one Asian. Ah, oh, that, okay, yeah, that would have been good. Uh, somewhat like a, like one Asian, one woman, or something like that. Yeah, sure, yeah. Just, yes, yeah, someone like, wildly different, yeah. Absolutely. Like, sh- way shorter, smaller in stature, like, different in every way. It's like, all these people were roughly the right size. They just were white, not even wearing bad blackface. They were just white. Yes, yes. Um, uh, and they were all shirtless or wearing open button-up shirts. Or... <laughs> yes. That, that, is a, that is a fun scene just to see Pootie Tang fight a bunch of people dressed up like Pootie Tang in the parking lot of a burger joint. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so David Cross, I, I've always loved David Cross. Mr. Show with Bob and David is still what I think the funniest sketch comedy show is. My favorite, my best sketch comedy is a little more objective. That's a tough one. But this movie is very reminiscent of another movie based on a sketch um, called Run, Ronnie, Run. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, Ben. It's been a while since I've seen it, but that's like ostensibly the Mr. Show movie. There's a recurring character in Mr. Show, the sketch comedy show, called Ronnie Dobbs. And the gist of that character is he is the most arrested man in America. Like, if there's an episode of Cops, he's on it type of thing. And so that's the character that they choose to make a movie about. And I see a lot of parallels between Run, Ronnie, Run and Pootie Tang because neither of these characters, I think, were the highlights of their respective sketch comedy shows. Like we mentioned before, Pootie Tang makes an appearance on the Chris Rock show like once a season. Ronnie Dobbs is in the first episode of Mr. Show, but maybe has two or three appearances after that in their four seasons. So, one, I find it interesting that it's, like, of the people writing and creating sketch comedy shows, they tend to take these lesser-known characters. They don't take, like, maybe the biggest hit. Like, successful, but not wildly successful. And then they try and develop the movie completely. 
there's a lot of parallels also, like we talked about Louis C.K. having issues with Paramount behind the scenes of Pootie Tang. There's a lot of issues between Bob Odenkirk and David Cross and Troy Miller, the director of Run, Ronnie, Run. So there's a lot of parallels between them. But I think I like Run, Ronnie, Run more as a comedy because I just love the comedy of Mr. Show more than of, like, Chris Rock. Um, but I, because I don't think we're ever going to talk about Run, Ronnie, Run, I have to shout out a moment in Run, Ronnie, Run that is absolutely hilarious where Ronnie Dobbs basically becomes, like, a traveling person to get arrested. Like, uh, Bob Odenkirk's character basically says, we're going to make a show about you going to a different city each week and getting arrested there. And, like, he, comes, he becomes really famous. Like, everybody loves Ronnie Dobbs. He becomes a celebrity. But in the middle of the movie, or maybe, like, the start of the third act, Ronnie Dobbs, who's constantly drunk as well. He's like a, he's like a redneck-type character. He's constantly drunk, getting arrested. He, he really tries to, like, find a way to better his life, and he gets, like, taken into a cult type of thing, which is, like, he makes him sober and has him reading, like, affirmations and, like, giving himself over to a higher power. But there is a wonder, wonderful little scene in Run, Ronnie, Run where Bob Odenkirk finds him and says, like, Ronnie, you have to come back. you got to get out of this cult thing. You should start drinking again, and you should do this show because Bob Odenkirk wants the money. And the way Bob Odenkirk tries to convince Ronnie Dobbs of this is by reading fan mail that Ronnie Dobbs has gotten since his sh- he left his show. And this is a piece of fan mail that Bob Odenkirk reads. He goes up to Ronnie with the letter and says, Look at these letters I'm getting. Dear Ronnie, my name is Maurice. I am eight years old. I am your biggest fan. How come you are not so drunk anymore? My daddy says you were never drunk, but just a Hollywood phony. I told him he was wrong, and he beat the shit out of me. Love love Maurice. Ronnie, I have stacks of these back at my office. (laughs) It is one of the funniest moments I've ever seen to be like, how come you are not so drunk anymore? (laughs) I just had to shout that out, because like I said, I don't think there's any reason we'd ever get to run Ronnie Run. But but I, I think there's a thing of there's a whole other discussion of sketch movies based on sketches. Some are really successful, like Wayne's World. Some are not successful, like this, like Run, Ronnie, Run. Some basically never get known, like some other SNL ones. But it's interesting. I'm interested in those too. So Ben, there's a lot more to talk about this movie. I want to know if there's other moments you want to highlight in Pootie Tang, because if our audience couldn't tell, I think you and I both appreciate the fact that everything in this movie is notable. Like I said, the stroking the chest hair is such a minor detail, and I love it. Like, like this is a very densely funny movie, I would say. But did you have any moments that you wanted to bring up? Either I did, or you brought up all the moments I was interested in, or that I really wanted to talk about. Um, that might, you might spark my memory as, as you're talking about <laughs> stuff. But no, I definitely, like, I, I thought about getting something to take notes about scenes that, that were remarkable and then I was just like there's I, I would be writing constantly and never watching like yes. that's yes I'm glad you said that I had the almost the same exact thought that there were points in, I have very little notes on this actual movie most of my notes are about Louis CK's sex scandal <laughs> but I, it was one of those things where I was just like I didn't want to look away from the screen like I didn't want to miss anything in this movie because I knew everything in this movie was going to get a reaction from me and make me think about something. Like, it works on that level so well. And I mean, you know, now, like you said it well, like as we're talking about these things, things that I didn't even write down are coming back to me. 
the introduction of Biggie Shorty, Wanda Sykes' character. The way she's introduced is her talking directly to the camera like it's a documentary, intercut with weird angles of her just dancing. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because her dancing, I, I knew somebody that danced like this. Rob actually knew her too. Okay. I, I lived with her in, in Athens for a while. And it is uncomfortable to look at. It's so jarred. <laughs> yes, like, yes. It's so awkward and clunky. <laughs> yeah, clunky is a good word for it. It's just like... And she's just doing this on the street. And then somebody drives up in a car and is like, oh, I want it. Like, And she's like, just because somebody gets dressed up and stands on the street corner next to some horse, you think she's out here hooking? Yes. <laughs> the, the sounds that come out of the old man in that scene oh my God. are insane. And I will put the clip in, of course, because this is a thing that will work. Like I was saying earlier, you know, sometimes our words won't do it justice for things in a movie, like how dirty Dirty D is. Um, If you've ever seen the movie The Lost Boys, there is a scene with so much garlic, you need to see it to believe it. I thought you were saying that we could never accurately describe how lost they were. It turns out in The Lost Boys, the boys aren't that lost. There's no scene of them asking for directions, which I was very upset about. It's still a really good movie, though. But this is an instance where our words will not do justice to these sounds this old man is making, but I can play the clip for the audience. Hey, look at her, man. Pink lady. You want something? Yeah, baby, I want it. What you want? I find you doing too much. How much? Hey, baby, what's your problem? Just because a girl like to dress fancy and stand on the street corner near some whores, you automatically think she's hooking? Would you? No, I wouldn't. I'm a lady, you, you greasy bastard. I was literally in shock hearing this old man continually making some of the most insane noises I've ever heard in my life. Not just in movies, in my life. I, I almost thought I was going to like have an aneurysm. It sounded so strange to me. <laughs> it was definitely creepy. Like, super fucking creepy. Yes. Uh, and he's saying, when he actually is saying words, he's saying, like you just mentioned, things like, I want that, while pointing yes. at a woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's fucked. And Wanda Sykes is like, what do you want? And he's just like, I want you to do the two of us. Yes, yes. <laughs> Speaking of Wanda Sykes, there's a moment when the, it's with her and Bob Costas in the middle of the movie. And it's like when everybody's turning against Pootie Tang because he like he gets you know taken over or you know drugged drugged in the sense of that he loses his way because of Irene, and Bob Costas says something like we are so upset with Pootie Tang I thought he was better than this and Wanda Sykes says something like Irene drugged him and caused him to sign sign the contract haven't you been watching the movie <laughs> yes and it's it's so fast and so 
not highlighted by the film that I almost thought I, I almost missed it. It comes out of nowhere and it's so tiny, but it's this meta moment in the narrative of the film that that the movie never really does again or later or, or you know before. But it's wonderful just to hear her so quickly and then Bob Costas to respond so quickly. Haven't you been watching the movie? <laughs> and, uh, and, and he says, like, she says something like, you don't know Pootie Tang? And he was like, I do know Pootie Tang, and this is not the Pootie Tang I thought I knew. Yes. <laughs> that, that whole, I don't know, that was great. It, it is. It is really something else. Um, it, it is. It's, it's wonderful. I'm shocked that I've, I enjoyed this as much as I did. I really thought it was going to be a bad comedy, but I, I, I am so on board with this. And I think, I think we have to... I knew we were going to have to talk about it. I think it's time to get to it. Pootie Tang is such a public figure. He's doing his PSAs. I think, you know, at the start, even before we get that end framing device, we know that he has gone to talk to Bob Costas and promote a movie. So he's a, he's a media figure. He also makes music. And the scene starts when they're in a recording studio... And Pootie Tang is at the soundboard, and he, he's, like, playing back a track or something, uh, the instrumental track, and he's lowering certain levels until they're all gone. And everything, the drum line, the bass beat, the, the you know, the I think, like, the backup singers, everything's gone. We're hearing nothing, but Pootie Tang is, like, you know, feeling the beat of it. He goes into a studio to record his part of the track, and his track, part of the track, and the rest of the track are completely silent. Now, the movie doesn't stop there. The movie doesn't stop that he just recorded nothing. The movie continues to imply, not imply, explicitly state that radio DJs are playing this silent song and people are listening to it on the radio and loving it. So now, concept, great. Uh, I love the idea of silent music. It's John Cage released his 433, however many years ago, uh, in the 80s, I think. And that's just four minutes and 33 seconds of silence. And it's like an art house type of thing, you know? It's very weird, like pushing the limits of what media can be. All that kind of bullshit that I feel. This movie makes that joke. Silent single, people are jamming out to it. I love it. What really interests me about that joke is that the whole premise of Pootie Tang is that he is too cool for words, but still speaks, but people understand him. There is something to me so fundamentally interesting about taking a character who's literal premise is about his inability to speak English coherently and turning that on its head and making him completely silent. There's something about that that makes me so amazed that they they push it in that different direction that I'm in awe of the movie at that moment. What did you think about the silent song, Ben? I have to get your thoughts on... Well, and we should also say the title of the track is By Pootie Tang. (laughs) (laughs) And and Rob just did... I, uh, Chris Rock screaming at a mic impression. Uh, <laughs> sc- screaming silently. I think my favorite part about the silent song is the the little Asian kid jamming out in his room, and his dad bursts in and is like, "Turn that crap down!" You reminded me of that. I almost did a spit take in real time because that is fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, that was like that was what made that scene for me. Um, and then, of course, I mean, there's like the line cook dancing to it in the restaurant. Yep, yep. But but yeah, that that was that was interesting. I don't think that the silent song was like my favorite part of the movie. Sure. By any means, uh, I definitely when it was going on, I was like, oh, this is this is kind of funny. The the spin you're taking on it of like he can't speak English and now he can't even make sa- or now he's not even making sound and that's still perceived the same way. I, I didn't really pick up on that. 
that that makes it a little better, I think. Sure, uh, sure. But I definitely like the scene with the dad breaking in like oh, that. Oh yeah, that was that was not what I expected. That's one of the jokes that I I definitely think you know if you're in the moment and you're writing this, we would have that idea. We as in like you, you me, me or whatever. But the movie does so well as to make me not expect it even. Like like post and post hoc analysis of that joke, it makes perfect sense that that's what you would do. Have someone say turn that music down. But the movie does so well at not making me realize that you know I should expect that makes it even funnier. And there, I'm sure there's some adage about that in comedy, like you know drop the punchline before the audience realizes what the punchline is going to be. This movie achieved that. That line made it achieved it. I I laughed. Out loud in my apartment while I was watching that, when the Asian dad comes in and screams, "Turn that crap down!" I literally laughed out loud. <laughs> uh, same. I, I I also laughed out loud at the gorilla scene. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> but I, I think some like a small touch about that scene that makes it even better is like shortly before that we see that Asian kid turn the the volume up on his radio. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It, That's a great little moment when you see him turn the volume up. Oh, oh my God, it's wonderful on every level. <laughs> and like, I didn't know what to make of it at first. I was like, oh, is he like turning it up because he can't hear the music and he thinks it's really quiet? Or and then later we find out like he turned it up because he liked it. Yes, like, yes. Louder. He Did wanted the silence to be louder. Absolutely. That's Did you get the sense in with the silence song? Did you get the sense that the people we saw listening to it, who would be Chris Rock as the DJ, the line cook and the line cook's, like, customer, um, and the Asian kid, I think that's all we see. Maybe we see, like, his friends or something at the restaurant, but those those four are the big, like, ones I remember. Did you get the sense that they were hearing different things? I kind of got it. I don't think the movie's explicitly stating this, but I kind of got the sense from the way the Lion Cook was dancing, from the way the Asian kid was reacting to it, from the way Chris Rock was reacting to it, where Chris Rock is the one who goes, Pooty Tang Don did it again, and starts literally trashing his DJ station because Booty it's so too good. good. Yeah. too good. Did, I kind of got the feeling that they were implying that everybody was hearing something different from it. Experiencing it differently. Yeah. That's- <laughs> That that would be great if that's what they were going for. I didn't pick up on that necessarily, but like, I can see why you would. Sure, uh, sure. I, I think that like the whole, you know, this painting is great because everybody looks at it and sees something different. Yes, applies to this. So it's like this music is great because everybody listens to it and hears something different. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's that, wonderful. That, that's definitely a solid joke to put in there if that's what they're going for. <laughs> but the the kids dancing and the line cooks dancing, like, because like the kid very briefly moves his arms around. Yes. And and it definitely felt like their dancing was similar in uh, tempo. Sure. Like they, okay. Okay. That's a good timing point. timing and stuff. So, like, I, I didn't pick up on it being extremely different. I gotcha. No, yeah, that, that's a good point for sure. Um, yeah, I guess I was thinking more specifically of – because you're right. We do see the uh, the kid, like, you know, moving his arms at a certain point. But I think near the start of the song, we just hear, see the kid listening to it, and he's, like, bopping his head, like, feeling the beat type of thing. Um, okay. yeah. And then it extends. So, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just it's, – it's a wonderful idea, I think, to throw this la- – a different type of language joke, singing – or vocal joke, probably better than language, into this movie. Um, it's, it's wonderfully amazing. <laughs> 
this this whole kind of movie is is wonderfully amazing. I'm kind of shocked that I, like I said, enjoyed it as much as I did. It truly is one of the gems. I can't. This is another thing. I can't believe I have never seen this movie before. Like this seems like the type of movie if people start to know me or get to know me and know my weird taste in certain comedy and movies. Like I'm a little shocked that that no point someone came up to me and be like, "Oh, Rob, you seen Pootie Tang? You would like Pootie Tang." It's like the right kind of nonsense. But that might be a testament to the fact that nobody really knows about Pootie Tang. I think it has a slight cult following, but I, I don't think this is something that gets talked about a lot. You know what I mean? So I actually, one day at work, we, we encountered a scenario where I felt the need to say that we dodged a bullet. And uh, my coworkers often use GIFs in our okay. team chat. So I typed in dodged a bullet into the GIF finder, and it found... Uh, graphic, which I now know to be from the 30D drug scene at the beginning of Pootie Tang. Oh, interesting. And one of my coworkers was like, did you really just post a gift from Pootie Tang? And I was like, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> so okay. I, at the very least, one of my coworkers is familiar with this movie. Interesting. Okay, okay, right on, right on. That's pretty cool. So I think, I think one of the last things I wanted to bring up with this movie in particular um, I didn't really do a lot of research on it because I knew it wasn't going to be the focus of our discussion. Um, but from what I found, the 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 language aspect of Pootie Tang's speech, um, if you if you read the Wikipedia page right at the start of Wikipedia, it says that his language most closely rela- relates or sounds like something called pigeon, p i d g i n. And I was like, I don't know what that is. And I went down the rabbit hole of like certain types of language, what pigeon is as a language, what creole is as a language, and things like that. And which is very interesting. If you're into linguistics, it's a really neat rabbit hole to go down, um, which I want to learn more about. But but basically, there's some grounding in reality of how Pootie Tang speaks. And I think I said this at the start, where there's a lot of different interpretations for it as well, because pigeon, which I think is what kind of the writing in this movie gets at for Pootie Tang, pigeon is basically some sense of it's not an established language. It is basically what people who don't speak a common language will reach first in developing a common language. So, like, English is a developed language. You have words with specific meanings. You have words where they're mostly or can be viewed as undefined terms that have a variety of ambiguous meanings. There's rules to it. Pigeon seems to be the first step of almost phonetic or onomatopoeia-based languages. And once I read this, it started to click for me. Because I now see Pootie Tang, the name of our character, as a very, very devolved form of somebody saying pretty thing. Like, pretty thing, pretty tang, pretty tang, Pootie Tang. Does that click for you at all, Ben? Because I think it works. I think I, if you say Pootie Tang as many times as I did fast enough, you kind of start to hear pretty thing. <laughs> uh, I definitely assumed that the Pootie and Pootie Tang had to do with female reproductive parts. Sure, sure. I mean, that's um, when you just hear Pootie Tang, I feel like the Pootie has some connotations. I was thinking of from Adventure Time, you know how they uh, there's an episode with uh, Poots on Newts? <laughs> yeah. I thought yeah. of that. And Tang, you think of the goddamn orange drink with the monkeys in the commercials. <laughs> yeah. But, but um, this started to click for me that there, there might be some basis of, it's a very far devolvement from the English language, but like, that maybe everything Pootie Tang says is some weird, long-form game of telephone that gets it to where it exists now, if that makes sense. 
well, it, it's to that point. There's a the scene where he stops the mugger and then the mugger shoots at him and he like bounces a bullet off his belt buckle and then kills the mugger. Yes. He says something like, "I'm the shamey day." Woody? Everything under control? But he knows he's got to do But it hurts him so bad to right those wrongs. My man put it tight. Yeah. Which definitely like sounds like ashamed. Like I'm ashamed. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and to that end, as I was saying it just now, that definitely felt like Jar Jar being something good. Oh, sure, sure. It's definitely some type of, um, I, I feel like I think of it as childish, especially when you say Jar Jar Binks. But I think, like, you know, a more primitive form might be the better way to say it. Sure. Where you're using just the sounds and connotations of words to get your point across rather than the specific words type of thing. But you're right, Jar Jar Binks is a good example because Jar Jar Binks says some nonsense in that Star Wars movie. <laughs> Any idea what? Wadata means, or... So, Wadata, what I got from the movie is, like, a form of agreement or, like, a thumbs-up type of thing. Like, Wadata, like, someone said, oh, Pootie Tang, or someone would say, I don't think this comes in the movie, like, Pootie Tang, you want to go get something to eat? He'd be like, Wadata, like, in a form of agreeance. That's what it relates to in the language? No fucking clue. But I, I took it to just mean something good, like a, like an okay type of thing. Well, definitely. <laughs> Uh, and when he's asked if he's going to Biggie Shorty's party, he says something like Ramatan. Yes, yes. And apparently that's that's also yes. <laughs> uh, and then he says like Sepatown a bunch, and I don't know what that one means. Yeah, or yeah. Sepatow. I don't. It's, it's like that. It was just gibberish at times. It's very interesting. I would I would love to like actually like find like a linguist or something and pick their brain on this movie because it seems very dense, even as, like, an exercise for a linguist. Like, I'm sure linguists have better things to spend their time on than analyzing the language of Pootie Tang, but I feel like if I was really into, like, linguistics, this would be, like, a fun side project, you know? <laughs> this sounds like dissertation material, honestly. <laughs> that would be great to go to your advisor and be like, listen, this is what I want to publish. Something about the artistry of Pootie Tang. <laughs> I mean... It was 2001. That's long enough ago that it's historical. Right? Yes, yeah, that's a that's a good point. That's a good point. Oh man, it's it's something else. And I guess to get at something else, uh, the last bit I want to say about Pootie Tang will be in our questions. But Ben, is there anything else you want to talk about with Pootie Tang before we get to our questions? No, I think I'm good. Okay, okay. Because I think this is all going to culminate with the answer to our questions of Cinemates and Late Night for Pootie Tang. I am going an absolute yes to both. Cinemodity, a hundred percent. This is one of the craziest movies I've seen in a while. This might be in that list of movies that I think might be from a different reality. I think Freddy Gotfingered still takes the cake, and that movie is not ahead of its time. It's from a different universe. This movie is really close to that. This movie might be from a different universe. But in terms of Late Night, which is really what interested me with this movie, 
oh my God, this is an absolute late night movie that I think I'm going to be actively trying to show to people in the next week or two. <laughs> like, I think I want to go to people and be like, listen, we have to watch this movie. Because something I always say with late night movies, even if people aren't going to like it, there is no shortage of conversation starters in this movie. And that's what I really like from late night movies is something that you can really get a conversation going and really like pick somebody, pick your somebody's brain and get their opinions. This movie has so much going on that I think it is so worth talking about. So this is like the first time I'm given a hard yes, first time in a while that I'm given a hard yes for a movie in both categories. But what do you think, Ben, for Cinematis and Late Night? Definitely odd. Uh, I mean, as we've <laughs> talked about, it, it breaks various cinema rules. It has. Uh, a bunch of nonsense language that everyone understands. It, it's there's somebody flicks a bullet with their hair and it stops the bullet. <laughs> yep. It's it's a, a, definitely a very odd movie. And in terms of late night, like I you know like I said, I, I enjoyed it well enough that I I would show it to people also. Right on, uh, right on. I I don't know like I just, I liked it more than I expected, and I and I think that that's how most people will interact. Yeah, I I think that, you know, if you have somebody who's at least somewhat open-minded to some goofy, absurd comedy, this is going to land perfectly for them. I think this falls into, like, a category of absurdity that a lot of people can have fun with. And and I'm kind of, like, you know, surprised as I went through the research and actually watching this movie and thinking about it that this has fallen into, like, obscurity or gets the treatment, like we said in Scary Movie, that, you know, it's just been going around killing people. It's not that bad <laughs> I mean honestly in terms of movies like Scary Movie like Poodle Tang's better oh yeah that's a really good point uh, Scary Movie exists like on groan worthy or cringe worthy comedy where this does not this does not rely on that this has such a breadth and depth of comedy that it's way more even worthwhile as a film to watch than some of the later Scary Movies oh definitely and I mean Scary Movie it's a parody of, of horror movies. This is, is it's not a direct parody of Shaft, but it's pretty damn close to a parody of Shaft. Sure. So sure. I, I think that they're very much in the same subcategory of movies. Absolutely. And I definitely think that this is better than most of the movies in that category, probably. Definitely. I would agree with you completely. Uh, something came and popped in my head. Another scene we should highlight that I found very funny in Pootie Tang. Uh, after the events of the opening scene, Dirty D is in jail. We get a scene where Dirty D's henchman visits him in jail and passes him a bit of dirt that he rubs <laughs> on his face. <laughs> oh, yeah, and they look at the guard. Like, and, and then, like you know, so they look to see if they're going to get caught. Yes. And then they just do it blatantly in plain sight. <laughs> I thought that was great. Uh, and that's also where the, where the line from my bit at the beginning of the movie about people being in prison and it sucks. Dirty D says it sucks in here. And Froggy says, I reckon it's supposed to. Yes, yes. <laughs> which which is great. Oh, no, uh, th this movie is just a, a constant string of great moments. Uh, it's wonderful. And I think that, like I said, it's ca encapsulated by our, our hardcore yeses to Cinemize and Late Night. And now that brings us to the restaurant, Ben. I think, very, very importantly, we should have a Pootie Tang walk-around character for the Sin E-Modities portion of the restaurant. I would love Pootie Tang to speak in gibberish words at children 
that they should be getting a lesson from. Will the kids get a lesson? Maybe, based on the universe of this movie, but in the universe of a restaurant, I don't know. Maybe parents will come and complain to us, be like, my kids said they were approached by a strange man that stroked his chest hair and said nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we definitely should have that impact of, like, his Pootie Tang's PSAs and stuff in the kids' portion of the restaurant because that is just a wonderful, like, I, I didn't write it down. There's nothing I didn't write down, but we get to see one of the PSAs, and it says something like, smoking cigarettes equals natatai baddies or something like that. Like, yes, we, yes. we see it spelled out at a certain point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm down with Putin walk around. Uh, to that end, I think that we need, if we don't already, we need to have a night where maybe our cook's, come to, uh, to work in some kind of costume, oh. and we definitely need Dirty D cooking food. Yes, a- absolutely. Like that, yeah, I, I 100% agree that Dirty D gets to cook some meals and ends up with a bunch of dirt on a dish or something like that. Definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that, yeah, Dirty D is great. I guess we should mention Dirty D is played by the, uh, the great Reggie Cathy, who, who's dead now. I was very upset when he died, but he's in, like, everything – He's a really serious, like, dramatic actor on a lot of things. And to see him be this goofy and dirty was wonderful. <laughs> uh, he, he was uh, Frank in House of Cards, right? Or yes, not... yeah. He's, um, he's the Frank? Freddy. I think Freddy. Okay, the barbecue guy. The barbecue guy, exactly. Who, um, who has one of my favorite scenes in House of Cards because... Frank, like, Frank Underwood, Kevin Spacey, right. he, like, he, like, gets him a job at the White House or something, and then, you know, I think there's a scene where, where Freddy has his, like, son in the White House, because Frank invites him there or something, and, you know, Frank's being all two-faced, probably multiple-faced, because he's such a terrible person in that show, and then he, like, says, like, oh, Freddy, you're a great friend or whatever, and, and like, F- Kevin Spacey walks away, and there's a moment where, like, Freddy says to his kid, he's like, don't be like that person. Like, that is one of the worst people in existence. Like, he thinks he's high and mighty for giving you charity, but he's not. He's fake. And it's a wonderful moment that, like, truly underlines how bad politicians are. And I love that moment in House of Cards. <laughs> I want to be president one day. No, that's never going to happen. But he said I could be. Listen up, boy. He lied to you. The truth is, you ain't never going to be president. It's just like them basketball players you got posters of. They say you can do anything, be a superstar too. But they were born to be seven feet tall, and if they wasn't, tell me what would they have? Nothing. Half of them can't even read a damn book. No, boy, this place ain't for you and me. It's good to have dreams, just so long as they're not fantasies. You let anybody say you that shit is your own damn fault, you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. I don't know if I watched it that long. Okay, it is pretty late because, of course, it's after he's in the the White House for a little bit and stuff. But it's 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 one it's a wonderful moment that really where House of Cards really shines because House of Cards is a goofy show where they have threesomes with their security guard for no reason and stuff like that. But yeah, House of Cards. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he is. I, I almost forgot he was he was in House of Cards, but he's in all that serious stuff, and it's great to see him be goofy. Speaking of Dirty D, in the opening scene. Something that as soon as I heard it, I had to put it on the restaurant, in the menu, for the kids, I think. Candy you smoke out of a pipe. (laughs) Pipe candy. (laughs) Pipe candy. Is that candy? It's candy you smoke out of a pipe. (laughs) That's kid. 
He's the dumbest kid in town. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I don't really know what we would have, candy that you smoke out of pipe, but it should be there. Now, now here's the thing. This movie does have a lot of good food items we get to see directly that I had to draw from. We see at a certain point, I think it's when they're misusing Pootie Tang's likeness. Uh, the company is the evil corporation. But we get to see tasty, heavy pork chunk cereal. Yeah. And on the box, it says in like a little, you know, like a little star shape, like blown out, now with more fat. <laughs> <laughs> and so we have to have this just on the menu directly. I don't want any changes to it because I love just calling a cereal tasty, heavy pork chunk cereal. <laughs> I, would, I don't think I, I would try it because I like to try everything, but I would not enjoy it. Heavy pork chunks? What the hell even is a heavy pork chunk? <laughs> it sounds like a pork stew. I'm not really. Uh, and then, of course, the other the other two that I thought of, burnt lasagna. We should totally have some burnt lasagna on there from what we said before. And in the corn scene we talked about, when, when the narrator says, like, oh, what's Pootie Tang doing? He's crying over corn. Get a life, Pootie. He does go on to continue. He's like, he's crying over corn. Corn. Not even popcorn. Regular damn corn. <laughs> And so yeah. I think we should just have, like, as a side or something, maybe not a whole dish, but uh, on the menu it would say corn, not even popcorn, popcorn. Regular, regular damn corn. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we make sure our, our wait staff knows that if somebody orders the corn, because I think corn exists elsewhere in the restaurant. That's one of those things I don't really remember, but I would imagine it has to be on there. We make – the wait staff makes the customer specifically state – like, do you want the corn, the not even popcorn, the regular damn corn? <laughs> <laughs> and they should say it to the customer in, in somewhat of a condescending way, so the customer's like, maybe I shouldn't be ordering this corn. <laughs> no, you, you didn't say it right. Corn is not a, a, an item on the menu. Oh, God, it's great. It's great. Um, I'm, do, I'm doing a real-time, because I always love doing this. I hope audience loves it as well. I'm doing a real-time Control-F for corn on our spreadsheet of the restaurant. From our second episode ever, we have a snack called Inhalable Popcorn. Okay. I don't remember what that is because that was over three years ago now, but I like the idea. <laughs> uh, it looks like we have corn somewhere in our freaked episode. Oh, we have goddamn buttered popcorn in one of our meals. I remember that specifically. Damn. Buttered popcorn. A popcorn bucket in the shape of the Infinity Gauntlet from Avengers Endgame. <laughs> <laughs> RC Glow Popcorn I can't believe I forgot about that Zach and I We like Did like a um, a, a brainstorm once On what types of weird flavors Of popcorn would we like And I said RC Glow Because there's a Whitest Kids You Know episode Where they're pitching RC Glow Which is RC Cola That glows in the dark <laughs> But I also pitched in that episode Blood flavored popcorn I forgot about that one <laughs> So yeah We have a good bit of corn In the restaurant That uh we could, you know, have somebody, they have to specify, not even popcorn, the regular damn corn. <laughs> I, I'm surprised that we don't have cigarette-flavored popcorn on there for matching. Oh, chicken. that, okay, that has to be added. We have cigarettes so many times, I'll put that on the list, Ben. Cigarette-flavored popcorn has to be on there. That is a great one. Oh, from our Charlie Angels, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle episode, I pitched that I want Lucy Lou to feed me a corn dog. That was that's not on the menu. That's just something I want in general, and I felt the need to put that in the spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> right on. 
Um, but okay, so th- those are my snacks. This was I definitely fell into the trap in this movie that when I was watching it, you know, I was so into the movie that I wasn't really thinking about the restaurant as much as I sometimes do. But Ben, what did you have for snacks? I, I think that we need some kind of dirty bee inspired food. Okay. Uh, it could just be dirt. It could be like small chunks of dirt, like they're nuggets of drugs. <laughs> okay. Uh, so definitely that. What's the other guy's name? Like Bad Bitty or whatever. Yeah, but I think Bad Biddy or some Biddy. Biddy's definitely in there, yes. <laughs> um, so we, we might call them like Dirty Biddies. Okay. Or some, something like that. Um, you know, like Biddies as in small, like bit, little Biddy. Sure. Um, but no, I, I'm kind of with you that I was I was blown away by this uh, this movie in a way that, that kind of precluded me from thinking about sex. But I think one thing that maybe is an obvious one uh, saucers of milk that are slid to you from like outside a door and you have to drink them on the ground. Okay. Okay. I like that. I like that. Maybe may, now that you say that actually including the sliding dude, like when the door is ajar, maybe we should have something like if we ever do need to like kick somebody out of the restaurant for whatever reason, we would throw them out of the door. And if they like come back at the door in a very angry way, we just slide a saucer of milk out for them. <laughs> Like, that's, like, sure. the condescending action of the restaurant type of thing. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a pretty solid one. Really, when you when you mention it and make me think about it, when we see Pootie's hand slide that milk through the jo- through the uh, jar door, it really is hilarious. Like, even before we, we watch her get over and bend over and drink it, like, on all fours, just him sliding a little saucer of milk is goddamn funny. <laughs> um... And I think we could do like a kind of like mud wrestling, but cherry pie wrestling. Oh, that's a good one. Okay, yeah, yeah. I could get behind that. Uh, and then we could probably have some kind of sex area where you can like push people through windows. Um, I think people <laughs> would kick out of that. Like you could push somebody through like a, a you know a Hollywood window so you could break it. Yeah, I definitely think we have something about like a place in the restaurant where people could go to have sex. I think that exists. And I like that you could even rent out the room that's like, I don't know, if you want really rough sex. Like, rough in the sense that you are breaking the environment in which you are having sex. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> that's it's sweet. A, it's like tech in a, the later Tekken and Mortal Kombat games where the scenery is, is destroyable. Yeah! Oh, that's a good one. Yes, yeah. Interactive environment sex room. <laughs> Oh, God. It's something else. Did you have anything else for the restaurant? Uh, no, I, I okay. think I've kind of pushed my imagination to the limits here, making that up on the fly. So let's... Uh... <laughs> sure, sure. Um, okay, okay. So this was Pootie Tang. Uh, I think that even though, of course, maybe at this point in the recording, we don't know if I've been able to put in a little bit of Zach's thoughts on this movie, but I'm definitely interested to see what he thinks about it. I think he's going to be very happy to hear that we loved it as much as we did. But it's it's kind of a doozy. It's amazing. Definitely check it out. I think it's available on YouTube for free with ads. I think I saw that, like, yesterday. It's um, available on Pluto TV for free with ads. Also. There there you go. This movie is easy to find. It's 80 fucking minutes long. It is well worth spending 80 minutes just to experience this movie. Um, totally. It is well worth the watch. The other things that are well worth experiencing, the Cinemodities Patreon. <laughs> it is... 
June when this comes out. Uh, when this comes out, I think we will have you. The latest thing will be an, uh, an Adventure Time discussion, which is good to check out. But to uh, to maybe push some people over uh, at the end of this month will be our first Cinemodities patron request that Ben and I are discussing. And so you too can make requests for the Patreon content by heading over there and subscribing to get access to that, get access to bonus content, and to support the podcast. So definitely go check that out. It is well worth the small amount of money to get that ability. Um, of course, always cinemodities.gmail.com. Harass us. Tell us your thoughts about either Pootie Tang or the Louis C.K. sex scandal, as the two things in this episode. <laughs> and head over to the Cinemati subreddit for more information about the show. Ben, I've heard through the grapevine, never from you directly, that you have an app I can buy. Is this true? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, definitely. So if you if you play Magic the Gathering, especially if you play Commander, um, check out my app. It's the Live Counter. Rob will uh, link it. It handles, uh, you know, supports partner commanders. I'm adding features all the time. Uh, the feature I'm working on right now is it's going to allow players to have a list of decks that they play with, and it'll allow them to have preferences that are specific to those decks and stats that are calculated specifically for those decks, all separated, um, you know, and, and kind of encapsulated underneath the player. So that, right. that feature right now is in beta, but it should be going, by the time this episode comes out, it will probably be uh, live. So check it out. Download it. It's $1.99. I run specials semi-regularly um, to make it just a dollar. Uh, download it. Use it. Tell your friends about it. I, I made it because it robustly supports the game in a way that other applications did not. Uh, I really only charge money for it because I have put a lot of time into it. Right on. And I've seen it. Uh, it it is really good. As from all my card playing days, I totally endorse it. <laughs> I guess that's the best I can say because I haven't actually used it to play Magic because I don't play Magic. I don't know anybody around here that does play Magic, but I still endorse it. Cinemodities stamp of approval. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So next time you want to uh, play Magic Commander with your friends, spend more time thinking about destroying your friends and less time worrying about life totals and Commander damage totals and poison counter totals. And, uh, and let the app track that for you. Yes. yes. Yeah, like Ben said, I will put links to that and all the other things we mentioned in the show notes for this episode, so definitely check them out. And now, Ben, this might be the thing I am very... I'm, I might be most excited for this. I've had to hold this in the whole discussion because we can only talk about it right now. How do we end this episode? You better goddamn believe I want to play Pootie Tang's in reverse. <laughs> I don't think there will ever be an instance that I will get to play a silent song in reverse for anybody. And it's about to fucking happen. Everybody stick around and just listen to it. And we hope you jam out with it. <laughs> you better grab a silent track and actually reverse it, Rob. Oh, 100%. I am totally going to put the work in as well. And I even love that in my – I have my little, like, notes template where I always write down, like, what I want to end the, end the episode with. I literally wrote Pootie Tang's song, open quotes. I put a bunch of spaces, close quotes, in reverse. <laughs> Oh, God, this movie, man. This movie is fantastic. <laughs> oh. 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 Oh.
Fuck, yeah, I'm not going to be able to do it. Fuck, I'm not going to be able to do it. 